So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Where are you from, Aaron? Detroit Lake, Oregon. I did not know you were from Detroit Lake. No. Born and bred. If that explains anything after this podcast, you'd be like, oh, (laughs) that explained a lot. (laughs) Now now I know why he's such a redneck. Now I get it. Yeah. (laughs) One hell of a walk. Yeah, interesting thing, you know, like that Detroit Lake area, uh, Andy, Levi, you might not know about this, but there's there's another lake uh, in Oregon that's outside of Sweet Home. And uh, I think it's, is it Foster Lake, Aaron? Foster. Yeah. Foster Lake. They used to have this mud fest there where every year they would drain the lake. I don't, I don't know if it was like entirely and everybody would just come and, and rally their four by fours all over that lake. And is Foster, is Foster Lake just right below Detroit Lake? No, no, it's a little ways away. Um, I've been to that and you've like back in the day, I mean, I'm, I'm working on 46. You've never seen so many 85, like Chevy Silverados with horrible lift kits and 44 inch mud tires in one place with people drinking Budweiser with like chainsaws in the back. It, it's epic. Like, you, you, you just described Dayton, Tennessee back in the 80s. <laughs> I'm telling you one and, and probably me in the back throwing the can out and getting opening the cooler lid you know what i mean uh, this is it that's it right there they used to do that crap down here they would when they lower the lake levi and matt you both probably know back behind dayton boat dock like on up the creek that's just a big mud flat in the winter i'm sure oh, you both yeah. have seen it before mm-hmm. well they call that point park so every year when that water's down dude they'd get out there and romp and stomp and sink trucks and blow off tailpipes and run from the law and all that good stuff out there <laughs> are we recording it before i say anything too stupid yeah yeah you're, we're recording but it's it's my job to make sure that we all sound smart and that it's uh family appropriate and it's uh <laughs> and now where andy where are you from exactly dayton tennessee it's like between knoxville and chattanooga it's just a pretty pretty small little old town right here on the tennessee river I was actually down not too far from there in, uh, I don't know if I could pronounce it, Telahoma. So not too far. I absolutely, Telahoma's just, I don't know, it's south and up the mountain for me. It's probably an hour and a half, two hours. It's not very far. First deer I ever killed in my life, I killed in Telahoma, Tennessee. Dang. Mm -hmm. Sure did, big old dope. We've come full circle. No, I was down there doing a like a <laughs> seminar or whatever at an archery shop down there in Tullahoma. Taylor's Archery is where it was. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep, Tullahoma, Tennessee. There used to be a pretty nice little deer herd there when I was a kid. It, there wasn't any deer back in the part of the state where I lived. I mean, I can literally remember the first deer track I ever saw right here around where I live. And I lived around, you know, some pretty good-sized timber, some ag fields and stuff. And I was probably... 12 or 13 before I ever saw a deer track here in the dirt where I live. So, yeah, we didn't Good have Lord. deer. For real, that's, that's no lie. I mean, there was literally none. There was some on the mountain range up here just west of the house, but there was none in the valley. Hmm. When was that? Like 1954? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, well, I just got off Iwo Jima here. You know? Probably, but there wasn't no deer because all the dinosaurs was killing them. 
Yeah, they couldn't outrun no T-Rex, son. <laughs> Don't make fun. Don't talk about T-Rex. They got a little arm. They got a big... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Aaron loves, loves the bench press. God. you put this glass up? I'm like, you grab a seat because I can't reach it. I need a... <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at for age? Uh, I, I know how old Levi is, but uh, Andy, how old are you? Aaron, I'm 50. I turned 50. I turned 51 October the 12th. Man, you're like a breath older than me. Levi, what are you, 27? <laughs> yeah, 35. I wish I was 27. <laughs> I'll tell you something about Andy. He don't act like no 50-year-old whenever he's walking or hiking or chasing something <laughs> that he wants to kill. I can promise you. Oh, hey, I just hide it well, dude, because it, it all hurts. Trust me. It does. <laughs> Man, I ain't going to give up. How, how old am I? I'm, I'll be 40 on Monday. Okay. Happy birthday. Yeah. Yep. I'm uh, enjoying my last seven days in my 30s. So. Oh, yes, you are. And Aaron, you're, you said 46. Just about, yeah, about, about there. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're up on me. People do about the same things I used to do. There ain't a whole lot that uh, I can't really do. I can't, well, can't run too fast anymore, but <laughs> I can get away from something, I guess, if it was really hard for me, but that's that's about it. <laughs> I've got a recent funny running story. Uh, so at, at one time, I was really fast for a fat guy, right? Like, I pretty quick, and so... <laughs> One of the guys that guides for me, Dan Collins, a real good barebow shooter, great kid. He works for me now. He he wanted to race, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to show him. Now, I may have won the battle, but uh, I definitely lost the war. About snapped my hamstring. Now, I beat him, but I had to limp back. And then, like, I came home after guiding, what, a week later. My wife's like, what's wrong with your leg? Like, what are you talking about? It was like 17 shades of black, blue, purple, and yellow. And I'm like, yeah, I raced, I raced Daniel. <laughs> and so I'm still as fast as I ever was, but recovery might take a little bit longer than it used to. I'm definitely learning that. <laughs> yeah, buddy of mine, this weekend, it was so funny you just said that. Actually, it was yesterday. He just bought a house on Pickwick Lake. So they went out, and he got up on this, like, hydro board, like, behind the boat, like, I guess on your knees, you know, like a hydro slide deal. He said, man, I used to love to water ski. And I, that was easy, dude. He said, I got up on that thing. I was tooling around. They were pulling me. He said, I told him, he said, stop the boat. Throw them skis out here. He said, man, I used to be one hell of a skier, man. I could really get up there and do it and jump in waves. He said, I got up on that ski. He said, we went about 50 yards. Hopped my hamstring. <laughs> he said, if I hadn't had my wife and kids in the boat with me, he said, I would have cried and sank to the bottom. He said, same deal. Leg was black and blue and yellow. Couldn't hardly walk today. He said, it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. I'm definitely learning, especially with the backpack hunting and stuff that I do, like uh, that the uh, learn, uh, live to fight another day. There's just times yes. where I'm like, maybe I'll go a little bit slower this time than I used to go, and I'll get there. I'll be like a yeah. member of the Sloth hiking team. I'll get there when I get there now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen on that. I'm the same way, dude. I can't. I hurt my back a couple weeks ago, and I, I mean, I wasn't just like down. But dude, I had to really watch what I did. Probably about the worst I've been hurt in a really long time. I was like to the point, I'm like, what if this don't get better? You know, you kind of get that in the back of your mind. Like, 
hey, you know, what, is this the one that I'm going to actually have to go to the doctor and get something done about? That's, those, yeah. those are the creepy ones. What is your season? I know you normally got a bunch. Are you doing that again this year? Yeah, so I've got um, some military training. I work with some different individuals in Kodiak, Alaska, coming up. And then I guide antelope for a while. And then uh, I got a mule deer hunt. And then I, I'm going in on an elk hunt uh, with South Cox. He's a stalker, stick bows, mates, uh, amazing guy, amazing hunter. Uh, come back from that, I got two more mule deer hunts. Uh, yeah, I'm taking a guy on a goat, two guys on do, two different mountain goat hunts. And then uh, I think somewhere after that kind of whitetail season uh, starts, it's kind of all a blur, to be honest with you. But, yeah, yeah, there's a little guiding, a little hunting, a little bit of everything going on. Gotcha. Yeah. I just know after September 1st, I'm, I don't even try to find you. I know it's going to be like February, maybe March, and I'll get a text from you. And I'm like, oh, you made it. Resurface. Yeah. <laughs> like, well. He made it. He's still alive. It's usually because uh, January I start. I guide for mule deer and owl dad um, down in uh, the Davis Mountains, and that lasts till usually March, April time frame. We've had some guys come down in May this year, so um, mm. it uh, yeah, it's a it's a six eight month thing. I, you know, I never. It's weird. Like we're all in a position right now where if we looked back, and Levi, you told me once you wrote an article when you were a kid, you were going to be the greatest archer ever and lo and behold that's where he ended up well when i was a kid i just was like all i want to do is be a mountain man and then lo and behold now i'm like you can get tired of living in the mountains uh you yeah. can't <laughs> you know, people are like i can't believe you can sit in a tree stand all day i'm like you know what i like some ho-hos and ding-dongs in a bed by the time december rolls and november rolls around like exactly I yeah, yeah I didn't even realize how much I loved well I knew I loved whitetail hunting but when I started sheep hunting and starting my every year off with sheep and goats and all that stuff by the time it was time to go sit in a tree stand I was like man this is me <laughs> Twizzlers a caddy full of coffee and a nice bed and cell service this is this is this is where it's at oh, okay okay what is it? about sheep hunting now i've heard aaron snyder say this and i've heard levi morgan say this and i did watch your show this morning levi on kodiak okay i mean i'm just going to be totally honest that didn't look fun at all <laughs> that, was yeah. a zero. Factor, that was a zero <laughs> i don't want to speak for for levi but i can say that um there are there are times that are fun during the moment there are times, uh, you know, before the moment or fun or before the actual the actual adventure. And then there are times at the end of it, it's fun. I would say for most sheep, goat, really tough mule deer hunts, it's really not, you know, air quotations fun until it's done. And you're kind of remembering the good times because, yeah, I, I don't know, Levi, would you agree with some of that? A hundred percent. I've always said that mountain hunting in general like that is like type two fun where like in Kodiak last year, when me and Micah were packing that thing out the last day and we got in that Creek bottom, we both were at a point where we were 100% never coming back to hunt stupid, tiny, sick of blacktail in this type of crap, you know, but I, that night when we were laughing in camp with our buddies and telling stories about how hard it was, we, 
we're already starting to talk about we were going to come back next year. But some moments out there suck so bad that you're like, why am I here? I've got to be, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And I hate it, you know. (laughs) I I saw the look. I saw the look on your face when you guys were in that drainage coming out. And you were having to duck under all those willows and step over everything, tripping. I saw you had your stabilizer looks like off your bow where you could get through that stuff. I saw that look on your face that I've not seen a lot, but I've seen it. It's kind of like when you're throwing the antelope decoy over in the back of the truck. The little (laughs) you had exactly that same look on your face. Yeah, I was over it that day, dude. I mean, there ain't many places I've been where my body quit on me, and that was one of those days because we would hiked all the way to the top, and I took Kodiak for granted. Cause I'd been, I've been to Yukon. I've been all over Alaska. I've been all over British Columbia hunting goats. I took sick of blacktail for granted and I didn't prepare like I should have for that. And, and that day we hiked to the top and then found a deer chased it all the way, halfway back down the mountain and I missed it. And then we hiked all the way back to the top and then like four miles around to where I killed that one and then had to pack it out. The worst crap ever. And by dude, my body was quitting on me that day and I'd never had that happen. And it was like pretty helpless feeling. I had it happen to a couple camera guys and I was making fun of them, you know, but I was remembering back like I shouldn't have been making fun of them. <laughs> because now that's me and my legs aren't working so mm-hmm. and i i can say one of the the big things with that is having a core group of guys or a guy with you that is um positive or as you know as positive as they can yeah. be to, to help with a good attitude and also knowledgeable because i well levi knows i have definitely done some things to, to my body on different hunts where I look back and I'm like, I'm never doing that again. And then lo and behold, there I am next year thinking, I thought I said I wasn't going to do this mm-hmm. again to myself. And then, you know, there you are. And I, you know, when you talk about your body giving out, um, there are times like mental toughness will take you a long way. It'll take you as far as your body, body can physically handle. And then your body gives out. And it doesn't matter how mentally tough you are when you're cramping. Um, You you can't make your body work when your legs like you've hit so much lactic acid buildup that your body is failing you. It doesn't matter how tough you are. (laughs) You're just done. I mean, it's just you're you're in trouble. Aaron, what, what happens when you get in a situation like that and you get in the mountains and say your body, you build up so much lactic acid, you start, you give out. What do you do? So for, for me, and it's only happened um, uh, a few times, and, and usually what happens, because you've done something stupid, um, you generally, and I, when I say stupid, like you haven't hydrated enough, you haven't eaten enough. I've been lucky enough to do kind of like you with bass fishing, right? I've done this most of my life, and I've been able to prepare for it. And so, honestly, the best thing I, I have found to do, even if I end up hiking out in the dark, I just lay up, stretch, sit with my buddy as, as bad as this sounds. And I'll be like, hey, dude, you know, broke back mountain on the side of Kodiak, right? Levi, stretch my calf out, dude. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I literally had my buddy, you know, where, where I'm like, you know, right up in his knee, the armpit with my shoulder, trying to get his legs straight, stretching his, his uh, hamstrings out or whatever. 
and just taking a break and letting your body recuperate, recuperate, taking in electrolytes as far as drinking water and food to kind of, you know, rebuild yourself. The problem is, is when you get to that point, um, something in your plan has gone terribly wrong. And when I say that meaning, and, and Levi, you can talk about this, like with the Kodiak thing, you'll look back and say, man, if I would have done this, right. if I done this, well, you, you do enough of those to where you, you know, those ifs mm-hmm. you can almost predict the future. So luckily now I don't run into too many. There's been some, but I can tell you now when that hits me and that happens, I'm in a long ways in, I'm in deep, deep trouble and very few people are coming to help me. And so I have to really like, okay, I get, yeah. I just got it's a tent right here. I got to eat as much as I can recuperate and then do what I can tomorrow because your, your body will eventually fail and, and it will fail for a long time. Meaning like if you start you like cramps and things like that, you're not going to tough your way out of those. Hmm. No, you got to have a strategy behind the signs that your body throws at you. In other words, for sure. I got in a, I got on a, well, you know, um, the Lancasters, obviously, Aaron, you've been up there. I was moose hunting with them and we lost our packs. It was with, um, oh, what's Clay's son, Bo? Um, Bo, uh, yeah. Yeah, Bo. He was, he was with, yeah. But we lost our packs. I won't say how, but we lost our packs and we couldn't find them down in the bottom. And it had our sat phones, our clean water, everything. So three of us down there, I had to hike back to the top where the tents are, which is in sheep country, get in a spot and scope and wave them in. I had to find our packs in a spot and scope in those willows and wave them into the packs and then hike back off the mountain, get my pack all my stuff and hike back up to the top. And that night in my tent, my, my body, and I I knew I had gotten severely dehydrated because all my water was in that pack. And so I did all that without water and I knew I was in trouble, but that was the most miserable night that I've ever spent by far because my body would cramp like an entire, like you get a camp in your calf or your hamstring or whatever everything in my lower body i was just i was literally in tears by myself in my tent all night because i was exhausted and my body would not let me rest because it was like a constant cramp it was the most miserable and like it was too late at that point i couldn't drink enough water like it was just i had to weather the storm until things settled out in my body and then the next day i ended up killing a moose but and i was fine but that night was if you let yourself get to that point, it's not a quick fix. It's hours. You know? Is that a, is that a cardinal sin? Like, and it sounds like it probably is to get away from your, from your pack. Yes. Well, well, yes. Go ahead, Eric. Well, you know, keep in mind, um, I, I, you know, whatever. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do this a lot, which means I've made that mistake. When you leave your pack, the number one thing, if you do without fail, as sure as the sun will rise or you wipe your butt after going to the bathroom, you have got to mark it. And when I say mark it with a 10 digit UTM grid coordinate on more than one GPS, if there's multiple guys there, so you can get back to it because that pack is your life. So if you choose to drop it, which you shouldn't, but if you have to, and I've had to, you got to mark it. And 
one of the things in moose country that happens and, and even I've seen I've been on hunts where we've shot a moose at, you know, four or five hundred yards and took three hours to find it when we watched it drop because the willows are salt so tall. And mm-hmm. Levi, I'd, I'd imagine that's what happened with you is you just couldn't see it because everything looked the same because it was a giant swamp willow thicket. And exactly. So if you do drop it, um, you need you need to mark it. The other thing, you know, too, and, and again, like I'm not saying this like I popped out of the womb knowing everything. Um, I've done this enough where I've screwed it up enough. It's not a horrible idea like when you talk about things like water. In my chest rig, I carry uh, a, a gallon Ziploc bag which I use for a ultra lightweight emergency water system. So I can drop MSR aqua tabs in that, that I keep in my chest rig. They're tiny little smaller than a, in a ibuprofen that I can put them in that Ziploc bag. One of them fill that up and at least have water with me on my chest rig. If I drop my, my kit and the reason I know that is because I've almost killed myself on multiple occasions and cried myself on my big pillow at night to sleep because I was like where Levi was at, where all legs are cramping. I'm in a mummy bag. I can't stretch like I'm rolling around looking like an exorcism because there's a demon popping out of my hamstring or my calf <laughs> where I'm like, OK, let's assess this situation. What got and what could have stopped it? You know, so, yeah, that is a great idea. No doubt. <laughs> great idea. That is a yeah. great idea. Yeah. I mean, and I knew when we were dropping those packs, it's a bad idea. But a lot of times. And that we were chasing like a 70 inch moose and everything's frantic. And it's like, just drop your packs. And I was getting my GPS out and, and Bo was like, I've got, I'm marking it on mine. And we just took off. But like Aaron said, mark it on multiple GPSs because once we lost the moose, we ended up not get, we walked around top of him, but didn't kill him. And we're going back. I see Bo like zigzagging in the willows. And I'm like, Oh no. No, <laughs> like, because mm-hmm. we'd went like a half mile on this stuff, you know? And he's like, somehow it didn't save on his GPS. The coordinate was gone, and we had no idea what the same were. That's, a, that's not a good feeling either. It's like, because everything, and from now on, like, I don't take, I don't leave my pack without my sat, some sort of sat phone. Now it's like a Zolio, a little bitty texting device. But because you get out there and don't have water in places, in some sheep country where there ain't water and you, your legs quit on you, you don't have your pack and you don't know where it's at. You don't have your sat phone. You can't get back to camp. I mean, you can literally die because of stupid stuff like that. So I won't ever make that mistake again. Yeah. I I can add a couple of things to that myself. I had a particular experience in Wyoming where I did that, got excited about some elk I was going to stock and I dropped my pack And I marked it on a GPS, and when I came back after blowing the stock, came back to the area I thought my pack was in, and I turned my GPS on. I didn't see the pack, and I thought, that's all right, I got my GPS. So I turned my GPS on, and it said low battery. And that because the battery was low, it had put the waypoint in in not the right place. And And I'm by myself, and I'm four miles from camp, and we're seven miles from the trailhead, and... I was looking for three hours and finally I had to go all the way back up to the top and pretend like I was stalking those elk again and work my way back down. And and luckily I landed pretty much on top of my pack doing that, but it taught me a couple other lessons that might've helped you in that situation, Levi. I don't know, but, uh, 
I don't, what I, one of the things I'd done there is I'd set my pack up against the log. And so it blended in with everything. So now if I ever do decide to drop my pack, I try to find somewhere in the wide, wide open and leave it where it's really obvious to see. It's not blending against anything. And the other thing is that was a camo backpack and I stopped using camo packs. The thing thing I would add to that is I carry an orange panel and this goes into other stuff that I won't dive into as far as shooting an azimuth to your pack to to shoot a back azimuth on a stock or whatever. But I put, especially in certain situations, I pull that panel. I keep one in my chest rig that's basically like 11 by 14 and I keep one in my pack, an orange panel, whether I put it on my pack or I put it on a tree above it, that I can find it again. Um, and again, this is from me losing my pack, um, having that orange panel, you know, more than, a, you know, even if you don't have a camo pack, it's probably a earth tone. It is. To have. And yeah. Or I pulled my sleeping pad out because they're all pretty bright and wrapped that around my pack. Um, if I don't have that panel to help find it, because not to over dramatize thing, that pack is your life. Right. And so when you lose that, you're 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 in you're in trouble. So, mm. well, these punch sound a lot like a lot of fun. <laughs> it actually it, it's amazing. I don't know how much fun it is, but it's so it's amazing. You know, I, and I have always been kind of intrigued by things that I don't know are miserable. So maybe I'm just weird like that. But um, but like I remember my first one. I got dropped off and looked at the mountain and was like. Nope, there's no way you're killing a sheep with a bow and ear, Levi. It's not going to happen. It's <laughs> just one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. But um, Well, on to something different. Um, a lot of people don't know, but Aaron, you, you kind of have a competitive archery background, really. I mean, you, and, I, and you're headed to the Classic next week, which I think is awesome. Um, how did how did this come about i guess will be my question like when i heard you're going to the classic i was pumped but a little surprised so like how how did that come about like and i'll try to keep this as short as possible so re- rewind to like the late 90s early 2000 time frame i was shooting competitive archery you know locally and somewhat nationally back then they had um the uh, cabela shoots um as well and doing really well and uh uh levi you know bill Pellegrino. he was a, a local mm-hmm. pro um tipton cook another local pro yep. i kind of had this dream of man I, I think i can do it and i you know life happened had a kid had a wife and moved around a little bit and uh, and i got divorced <laughs> shot a few tournaments after my divorce and I kind of was at that, uh, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I try to do this tournament archery thing? And it really boiled down to money. Like you can go hunting pretty cheap. You can have pretty cool outdoor adventures for free, right. Other than gas money. And I thought, you know what? I've always been a hunter. I've loved the woods. I'm just going to hunt until my fingers and feet fall off. Like I'm going to focus on this and kind of got out of the tournament archery occasionally don't get me wrong i'd show up at a local shoot turn shoot a tournament but i mean got out of it and uh, there's a lot i'm condensing here fast forward right uh <laughs> you know almost 20 years um i i my mind the way it works has to be constantly challenged right i, I gotta be doing something that's a challenge and so 
I got in a in a in a wreck last year, and and, and keep in mind I've been shooting a recurve since 2016. Um, I got in a, a truck wreck. My my wreck my tr- my truck was totaled in this wreck. I had to leave my recurves. Um, I didn't have to, but I left them with all my other gear down with my buddy Scotty. Um, he's the guy I guide for, and drove back to Colorado. There was a couple compounds there because I I do like a kind of a, a hunting bow review every year set those compounds up, started shooting. And again, I'm condensing this down, um, was like, man, I miss shooting a compound. And I was like, you know, and I, and, and so I started kind of setting up the idea of a tournament bow. And I thought, you know what, I've, I've done a lot with hunting. I'm in a financial place right now with financial stability. I don't have to win, right? I don't have to win any money. I can just go get my butt kicked, hang out with cool dudes, shoot a tournament, and, and, and it's kind of always been, I don't want to say a dream, right? But something I've wanted to do was go shoot, you know, a, a full season of ASAs. Um, I've always thought I've had the ability to be at least be able to hang, but, but I didn't always have the money. And I certainly didn't always have the time with my, my schedule with hunting. And so I set up a couple tournament bows, one with micros, one with fat shafts and started you know, shooting. And I was like, okay, I haven't lost too much, right? I can still shoot as good as I I can. And it's comical for me because now keep in mind, I do Q and A's, I get 10,000 questions about hunting. Right. And so I go to set up this tournament bow and I can tune a bow, right? I can, you know, just let off, figure out holding weight, what's comfortable, but I got to order a tournament site. Right. And Levi, should I tell the full story of this or should I leave names out? <laughs> no, you tell you can tell the full story. I like it. <laughs> so now keep in mind back in the day I shot a four power scope with no clarifier. And things have changed in 20 years. So I'm getting on all these different websites and I'm like, oh Lord, things are different now. Whew. There's a lot of technology out there. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna call Levi. I called Levi and you Levi was busy and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna call Dan McCarthy. And I'm like, I'm going to, luckily for me, I've had Levi, Dan, you know, um, Tim Gillingham, uh, Kyle Douglas, all these tournament archers on, um, you know, as well as, you know, many, many others. In fact, probably the biggest help is, is your traveling buddy. Um, yeah, he's a super, super awesome guy. And I've had him on the podcast as well. I'm like, I'm going to call these guys and ask questions. I call Dan and Dan's like, I'm explaining to him like about halfway through. He goes, let me just stop you right there. This is what you need. And I'm like, ah, man, I don't think I can shoot a a 35 millimeter scope. I kind of get kind of peep claustrophobia. And Dan McCarthy is one of the greatest archers to ever live. But I'm, I'm thinking, man, I don't know that I can do what he's telling me. Like this sounds horrible to look through a 35 millimeter uh, you know, a, a scope, I, I don't know if I can do it. So I, I, Levi is busy. And so I wait to call him and I call Gillingham. Anybody that knows Gillingham, that was an adventure, right? Like Gillingham. <laughs> <laughs> Block like, up an hour. <laughs> yeah, he goes through his spiel. And then I call, I talk to Kyle Douglas. And then, you know, as, uh, you know, time goes on, I get a hold of Levi and Levi's like, yeah, man, you know, this is what I shoot. Um, you know, and, and, uh, but yeah, um, how would I put this? You, your philosophy was pretty much where mine was at, I guess, as far as like the different, you know, powers and scope size and clarifiers and everything else. And so I'm thinking at this time, like, I feel really bad now 
about people that ask me questions um, uh, as far as like with hunting where I'm like, nope, don't do that. This is what you want to do. Because that's pretty much Dan did to me, right? He was like, nope, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> He is not wrong with the advice he gave me. Like, you can't argue with Dan McCarthy. Dude, I mean, Levi, he's been your number one competition for ever. 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. But I, I'm like, okay, I, I I don't know that this is right. And so I get a hold of Justin Hanna, and Justin's awesome. He That dude... I mean, literally tomorrow I take a bullet for that guy and I've only met him a few times. He's like, yeah, man, I'm not a big tech guy. I shoot a 42 millimeter, you know, he explains it. And I'm like, okay, so I've got the scopes. I order everything and I got a clarifier and, and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't see my pen very well with this clarifier. I've got to get a light. I've never shot a light in my life. So I Google lights and there's like a lot of options. And this literally is like asking the New York Taxi Cabber Drivers Association for directions. <laughs> what light do I need? And again, like keep in mind, I answer questions hundreds a day for people. And I'm like, man, I can't believe this guy's asking us. And now I'm that guy asking these questions. <laughs> of like, uh, what light do I need? So I get the light and I'm kind of like, OK, you know, I'm shooting. I've got a, I got 63D targets at my house. And I'm re, I don't want to say relearning, but it's a, it's, it's all new to a certain degree, a new challenge. And I, I mean, I'm kind of jumbling this all up, but that's where it came from. It's something I've always wanted to do. I can financially, I can afford it. I can go hang out with a bunch of cool people and I'm going to shoot the whole, you know, all of the ASAs and IBO. Well, hopefully the IBOs next year. It's just something I always wanted to do. Couldn't when I was younger and I can do now. So that's awesome. And I don't think, you know, you saying that you thought you, you know, back, you always thought you could hang. That doesn't come from a place of just straight up arrogance. See, that comes from you literally have rubbed shoulders and shot against guys like Greg Poole and, and guys like Pellegrino and all these guys like shooting those trail shoots and stuff out in Oregon and whatnot. And you have hung with them and beat them. And so yeah. that's why you know that, which, which I think is, is an important point there yeah so there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people that just randomly think they can hang and they just can't yeah i don't so. want to be a, like chris brackett say i'm going to show up and crush everyone like if i don't at least you know finish in the mid of mid pack i have just mentally crumbled right and and i you know for me the cool thing is is there is no downside to this i get to go hang out with really good guys i get to learn i get to have fun and if I, I'm going to shoot this last one so I can prep for next year, figure out what I need to, to work on or need to change. And there's there's not a downside to it. Now, the, the one thing, and I won't say exactly what Levi said. He's like, what class are you going to shoot? I said, man, I think I'm going to shoot known 50 or known pro. And uh, Levi basically pulled my man card. I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was I should not probably shoot anything other than oh <laughs> i probably said you might as well leave your quiver on then because <laughs> i think she said something, something like he's no punk or something like, like that. <laughs> and you know the the big thing with me is i back in the day i could judge yardage really well I haven't judged yardage that that much. Now I may next year shoot unknown, but like this year I think I'm going to shoot known pro, um, just because I haven't judged yardage that much. But I think that um, 
you know, on, on my end is like, there's nothing better than shooting with a group of people or, or a large group of people, but you know, five person people at a target that are all really good, um, that you're going to learn from that are good people and, and, uh, you know, see where you hang or see where you, you know, figure. And then if you don't do well, or you don't, you know, you, you learn from that and I'm very driven. I, I don't like losing. I just reassess and practice and figure out what I need to do for next year and move on, you know, and, and go from there. There's no downside. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a new adventure. Hell, I see where you're coming from with that 100%. It's got to be fun. And as you get older, too, I mean, I know from being 50 and almost 51, you kind of run out of things that you think you can be competitive at, but you can always dig one up. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'll strike, it'll, it'll strike that right back up, dude, to give you some, it'll give you some more life. See, that, what you're talking about, with archery is kind of the way I feel I am with bass fishing. Like mm-hmm. I, it's like my dream to like, I have thought about that for years. Like that would be, I think that'd just be the coolest thing to go out and compete bass fishing. And they'll probably never happen because I'm pretty sure my Samantha will leave me because <laughs> one year I bought, I, I bought an FLW membership I think you had to have those to fish the the Toyota series maybe or something like that. I forget it that year, but yeah. I was thinking about fishing one. So I got my card and it came in the mail and I made a mistake of not checking the mail first. And uh, it was yeah. not good. So I don't even know where that card ended up, but I didn't fish that, that tournament. And, and I, that look she gave me kind of let me know that I'd probably never fish competitively, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> and I probably couldn't hang anyway, but I, I really, that's always been something like, I, I know where you're coming from, but like that, like I'm not in a place in my life where I can go do that yet. So, well, it's, it's funny how we're talking about all of this moving to Wyoming. There's several really good lakes by me and my wife and I, my wife is a rock star. She's a stud. And I was like, you know, honey, um, if I start shooting tournaments, I might start fishing more. Cause, um, you know, when I say that getting a boat and, and because with what I do and, 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 and Levi has a real good idea and I, you, you guys, you know, it, it's time consuming with the guiding and the hunting and the backpack hunting and everything else where I don't, I'm not saying I'm stopped hunting, but where I might, you know, do a little bit of a lifestyle change where I do maybe two or three backpack hunts a year rather than seven months straight of hunting, Mm-hmm. get into fishing now i am not saying i'm a professional bass fisherman because i'm about to ask andy a bunch of questions about boats because i don't know what i'm doing but i love <laughs> to fish and kind of focusing on something a little bit different because the the thing with archery um that i have uh, really uh it's been an eye-opener to me is when you get tired of one type of archery you can certainly go to another so let's say mccarthy tomorrow is like you know I really want to start backpack sheep hunting. Well, that is an uphill road to hoe and he's going to be challenged, right? Like that is not something you just do overnight or, or me, you know what? I don't think I'm going to hunt as much this year. I'm going to shoot tournaments a little bit. more. It's always a challenge. Or in the case of me, you know, a few years ago, I got the bright idea. You know what? I think I'm going to shoot a traditional bow. I'm going to shoot a recurve. Well, that was an uphill road to hoe. So you're constantly challenged, and it seems like two fishing's probably the same way. So it's constantly mm-hmm. keeping you something to do. But it is. It is. It keeps you active. It keeps your mind in motion. Keeps your body in motion. And and 
we're all on this on this caster we're all busy people and that's things you need do you need to do that to feed your soul and feed your mind you have to keep that in your life some kind of challenge all the time or you end up me i don't really have something going on and i have too much slack time i don't sleep good i just i I don't rest i'm uneasy but if i've got something ahead of me that i'm looking forward to maybe even dreading sometimes as long as it's a challenge Man, I swear, I just, I think I live easier. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. You sit around too much, don't have anything to look forward to or anything to challenge you, end up voting for Biden and doing dumb stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Don't, don't you dare edit that out, Matt. I won't. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I don't know if you got have seen my very uh, I don't know how uh, x-rated this is but my small penis truck but how am I going to afford to tow my bass boat now that everybody voted for Biden I can't afford diesel so I'm going to have to tow my bass boat with a rickshaw because I can't afford to tow it listen (laughs) even though Aaron and I are from Oregon I still want to race that <laughs> All right, good, good. Hey, is that uh, Aaron? Is that Flaming Gorge that you're by there in Wyoming? Where are you at? Yeah, no, I'm, so I'm between Riverton and Landry. Okay, uh, but I uh, <laughs> I bought a Ford Shelby Super Baja, which is an F250 souped up um, Shelby series truck, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think my penis shrunk after I bought it, but it does look good and. <laughs> It's not yet great like fuel economy. So I'm like, I'm glad these lakes are close because uh, I'm going to have to start doing side jobs to afford diesel because I'm like, hey, do you, Levi, you need a shower door? Because I need fuel to fill my boat. Uh, Matter of fact, I do. Have you, been watching, have you been watching my wife's Instagram? Because I do need a shower door, actually. You know what she texted me this weekend when I won? How much? Oh, actually, let me go back. Let me go back to Illinois. She texts me because we're remodeling our house. I get second. I hit like three 14s in that shoot off, shot my butt off, ended up losing on the last arrow to Jacob Sluzard. She texts me, no, with like eight no O's in it. Said, now we can't get that bathtub. Not good job. Not good try. <laughs> now we can't get that bathtub. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, what kind of pressure is this? <laughs> oh geez. So yes, I need a shower door. I need a cast iron bathtub. I need all kinds of stuff. So, so fast forward. You you rewound, but you didn't fast forward to the post uh, oh, tournament text. Weekend. Yes. Yeah. Well, she texts me, "How's it going?" And on target one, I shot an eight. Dan's got a five point lead on me for the triple crown. Not going great. You know, I'm like, it's over because they're going to I know they're going to blow that horn any minute for lightning. They're going to call the tournament and the whole national championship. And Dan's going to he's got a five point lead. I mean, I can't make that up in IBO. That's a one point at a time. There's not enough targets. She texts me. How's it going? I said, it's over. I lost. And she just set text back. Uh, UGH. And. So I don't text you for like two hours. Well, during that two hours, I make a heck of a comeback and take a one point lead over Dan and they blow the horn, cancel the event. I win. And I text her. I won by one point. (laughs) She said, what? She said, I thought you said it was over. You lost. I said it was over, but somehow I won. And she, then the next comment was how much? 
And I, I texted her back and told her, she said, that was good timing. That's all she said. That was good timing. So I don't know what she ordered, but I guarantee you that was spent before I got home. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it was spent before the tournament started. That's yeah, probably. <laughs> so, it's while we're talking about this, I don't know whatever how much you guys pay attention. You know, talk about coming full circle. So I, I used to work on high rises, doing curtain walls. I did a lot of like custom Euro shower doors. The the guy I used to work for and the company I used to run doing commercial glass and iron working. Fast forward over a decade and a half. They are putting the windows and doors in my new building for Kafaru in Wyoming. And I'm out there hanging doors and running caulking and, and putting in windows. And I'm like, holy cow, the world works in a weird, weird way. Like, I, I'm now helping a guy install glass that I, I, I used to work for a decade and a half later in a new building that I hired him to do this with. But, he, you know, whatever, trying to help him out. And, and I'm like, well, I still got it, I guess. If I if I get if I fire myself from my company, I guess I can go hang doors and run cockbeats, you know. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> no doubt, dude. Full we'll circle. Yeah, that's right. Aaron, Never will be you... good at anything you don't want to do. That's what my dad told me. Yep. He'll ask you to do it. Aaron, yes, will you will. give us the uh, just give us a dime store tour here of, of how you got started and and where you're at today? Just to introduce our audience at least to kind of your progression through the hunting industry. So, um, I would say probably on forums, there was a forum called Bowsight um, that uh, it's still, I think there's, I don't get on forums anymore. Oh, Levi, anybody... Levi loves Bowsight. It's his favorite. Yeah, yeah I love I all archery forums. <laughs> I, I can't. But I started on Bowsight and one of the things that I found being a poverty level hunter was there wasn't a lot of great info out there with gear. So I started like reviewing gear and giving realistic reviews with what is, you know, with no, no money involved being very candid. I also made a lot of enemies from that. And then, um, I did a program with outdoor life, um, you know, somewhere in the middle there, um, where I, I, I did a lot of gear reviews and hunts. I started a website called rockslide.com. Uh, uh, with a few other, couple other guys, and um, you know, this is a very condensed version. Started doing after that podcast things like that, writing outdoor articles, you know, with different magazines, Eastman's or Bowhunter Magazine, whatever, and got to be. And I would say Levi can probably, you know, chime in on this more of maybe not the most liked person, but maybe the more honest person um, when you needed gear advice because there wasn't a lot of money. Um, I didn't take any endorsement contracts for years and years and years. Um, in, in the middle of that, uh, I started helping out a company called Kafaru, uh, design backpacks, which is a company I now own with my business partner. Um, and, and again, the very condensed version. So how, how I got there was being honest about gear, how I stayed with it was just getting after it in the field, going on lots of hunts, telling the truth about different hunting situations and different gear. Um, you know, starting a website, things like that, you know, as far as outdoor gear and, and hunting and uh, doing podcasts, talking about the adventures and helping people learn. Um, yeah. And then I, in 2014, I was promoted to the 
uh, president of Kafaro International. 2019, I purchased the company with my business partner. Uh, I've done a ton of different, again, hunts all over the world. Um, you know, the podcast thing, articles, like I said, in now I am where I am. That's a very condensed version, but hopefully that explains it somewhat. It does. It does. I don't know if, as you're talking, I, I'm realizing now that you and I talked on the phone once before when I was working at Benchmade. And and I remember talking to you on the phone and, and you said, I was talking to you about reviewing a, a line of knives at the time. I was the brand manager for an outdoor line we had called Lone Wolf. And you said, I, you remember that? Yeah, I do now. Yeah. Yep. And I remember you, you told me, you're like, dude, I'll review these, but you might not like what I write. <laughs> like, did, he, did he do the review? I don't know if we ever linked up after that or not, actually. But I do know that at the time, the reason that I'd called you, Aaron, is because, and, and still to this day, your reputation precedes you for being an honest critic about gear. And, and I know that there was a time, just from being in the industry, kind of hearing things where, you know, like there were definitely people that got frustrated about that or threw hate your way. But I think being true to yourself on that, which I guess you're the kind of guy who couldn't really operate any other way, really eventually uh, worked out to your benefit as being seen as really one of the foremost experts in understanding what gear is really about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, Michael Shea, who's the, um, uh, kind of runs, um, uh, the, I guess it's free range American, uh, you know, magazine for black rifle coffee. Uh, he was involved with, uh, this is a, a funny deal and I'll try to keep it quick. He was involved with the program I did with outdoor life. And at that time, basically at the end of the first year, they said I was not, um, reverent enough i was i was i was too i was too brash or blunt um and fast forward they're asking me to write for them again because now lo and behold people like the truth right like no one something sucks it's crazy so now whether it's whether it's the truth or not or or it's um, my version um i try to give like an honest assessment low so let's say levi you're a huge schwacker broadhead guy yep right i have shot a ton of stuff with schwacker broadheads if i did a review on those i would say hey that broadhead for the money is one of the best you can buy. It is not the best broadhead as far as like best steel, uh, best ferrules, but for the money, it's pretty hard to beat. They have multiple different lines. Uh, they have some higher grade lines than others, but you're not going to go wrong with that broadhead. Do not get online and read about it because a lot of people that don't know what they're talking about. The broadhead kills. I've killed a ton of stuff with them. They're good heads. Levi, would you say that assessment is correct? I would. I would. I'd say, um, yeah, I would say that's correct. Okay. How many people are actually going to say what I just said with, with, with Schwacker broadheads to say, hey, you know what? I shoot what the broadhead I shoot. But this broadhead, for the money, is hard to beat. Now, you may only you know put it through one animal, but if it kills that animal, it's a victory. That's great. You, you, you know, you can't have champagne champagne taste on a beer budget. You know, you can't pay, you know, 39, 49 bucks for a pack of three broadheads and expect 89 to $109 type of performance. They're good for what they are designed for. And I have killed a ton of stuff with them. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, would you hunt with those? Hell yes, I've hung with them. I've hunted with them before. 
okay, why don't you shoot them? Oh, I like this other broadhead, but if, 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 if I needed to shoot those broadheads, hell yes, I'd shoot them. You don't get that kind of honesty and candidness in the industry these days. And it, it turns out that whether people liked it a decade ago now, it seems like they like it a lot more now than they used to. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, well, everybody thinks their own baby is cute, right? So it's uh, everybody wants you just to be a yes man for them, right? And then when you're yep. not, sometimes they they walk away. And I, I'm not about that, you know. So, well, that's one of the you and yeah. I've been friends for a long time is you're not full of shit. Right, exactly. And that's what <laughs> I think he said. You used to call me all the time, be like, well, you're like one of the four people I like. So, um, <laughs> if you could pick up your phone <laughs> well, I'd be, and I'd be like who's this who's this yeah, like, the, like the old saying is you know the old, the old saying is straight talk is easily understood and that yeah. still stands well no. the other you know the other thing too is uh the truth is the most easiest thing to remember. And so if you lie about yeah. something, I, you know, I always looked at it that way. Like if I just tell the truth, I, I'm, I'm good. And, and like with those bench made those lone wolf knives, there was nothing wrong with that knife. It was just heavy, right? It wasn't something that I would, you know, take into the field because it was a bit heavy for what I wanted. Now, if somebody said, Hey man, I, I, you know, I hunt by the road, whatever, you know, yep. Great knife. But I was always as, as um, upfront with people as I could be about what they were going to get out of a review before they sent it. Because the last thing I want to do is, you know, Matt, send me four knives and expect this raving review. And then here I am like, well, it's a little heavy. And, uh, you know, I would I, I didn't want that. And so, I mean, and, and, and Levi, as, as, as you and I, you know, we've gotten to know each other pretty good over the years. I can call Levi and say, hey, Levi, what light do I need on my site? Man, I like that LP. That's the one I've always used. It does suck up a little bit of batteries, but batteries are cheap. I keep them with me. It's been dependable. Okay, go on archery talk and ask that question. Your mom's going to get called something bad, right? Your wife yeah. may get kept to the couch. Like, there's going to be... 400 replies and none of them are going to really tell you if that light's very good or not. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there's a, for sure. Something that's happened over the time that all of us have been in the industry, at least, uh, the four, yeah, the four of us for sure. And, and Aaron, you'll have to tell me what you think about this, but you know, back when it was just magazines, you know, there was always this sort of idea that was not true that the, editorial department and the advertising team were separate you know like you could like if you were getting a gear review done from a magazine they, like they would not play favorites you know or give an honest review even if you were a major advertiser and for the most part that just wasn't the case you know you're going to get better reviews you're going to get more coverage if you're buying advertising and that still happens sometimes but i, I just don't think there was a lot of accountability uh, when it came to magazines well, now, as we've gotten you know, more and more advanced in the access to information, although it leads to some of the things you were talking about earlier, Aaron, and just like a, a gross overload in Intel, people actually want to hear from people that they trust. And there's plenty of information sharing going on where if you're not speaking the truth about equipment, it's not going to go well for you because you're going to get called out on it. You're going to get called quick is what you're going to get. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, people sure. not out anymore. All the social media platforms, television, 
magazines, etc. They will sniff your ass out like an old rancid coon, son. They am treat <laughs> you in a heartbeat if you don't. They will. They'll treat you in a heartbeat if you try to lie about something. And that yeah. never work out for you. Or even yeah. if you disagree with them is the problem. Even if you're right. <laughs> if you, or if you could both be right. Like, but if you don't shoot the bow brand they shoot or or whatever, I mean, you're, you're pretty much just not, nothing you do is, is worth anything at that point. Well, and I am uh, in a position to where if you guys knew how many people I have guided that are sponsored by a specific optic company that do not have those specific optics in their final harness but then promote that later. It's kind of an eye opener to, um, you know, the world. And, and I've never, I know I don't call people out for that or whatever, but like, you know, there is, um, a reality of somebody says, Hey, Aaron, um, you know, I, I don't know, whatever rangefinder. you know, what rangefinder do you use? And I say, Hey, I use this one for archery for rifle. This one's a little bit better. That is what you will see on me on the side of the mountain. I don't, I don't try to fluff that up. You know, I also lose a lot of, a lot of money from not, you know, taking sponsors and Levi, I'm, I would imagine, well, I say, imagine, I know you have lost a ton of money by standing by principle or morals. Um, and, and rather than taking a check. 100%. I mean, going back to broadheads, I've been offered ownership. I mean, you name it. I mean, tons of business and then other products too, but I want, you know, if I stand by something, I stand by it. And everybody is going to talk no matter what and say, if you make money and are successful, people want to say that you're chasing dollars and wherever the money takes you and all that stuff. But that's never been the case for me. Yeah, I got to make good business decisions, but I also am not going to shoot and stand by products that suck, you know, and that I don't believe in. So, yeah, I, I mean, same deal. I've turned a lot of money down and business down to do that. I know Andy's done the same thing in the fishing world. So, I have, I have, you know, a lot of money, but I like good people and a lot of good equipment. And, uh, yep. you know, that's that's just what you got to live by, man. Like I said, For people sure. sniff out. While we're yeah. talking about this, Andy, I'm, I'm, um, do you, does the same thing happen in the fishing industry that we're talking about with archery? Absolutely. 100% does. Yep. It, 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 I mean, it, it's out of the same mold. I mean, you know, people do what they got to do to pay the bills, et cetera. Uh, you know, and there's things out there that work better than others at times. And fishing's a little different. You know, it's a little more quirky. Uh, you know, fish are finicky. They, you know, there's different baits out there for different times, different areas of the country. Uh, so, you know, it's not like a, a shooting deal that... Uh, a bow, a broadhead, etc. I mean, there's different things of all levels, rods, reels, lines, lures, etc. that perform better at wherever you are. So it is a little different as- that aspect. But yeah, as far as the the market and people snooping around and you know using different things, yes, that all happens. Well, you remember, Andy? Was it uh, two years ago? Hank Cherry won the classic, and he won it on a Mega Bass jerkbait. And mm-hmm. I think he's pretty well sponsored by Berkeley. And then this year, Berkeley released a, a pretty much their own version of that bait. So yeah, but it looked a lot alike. I mean, yeah, that happens a lot. A lot of mm-hmm. companies not open. I mean, you can't, you can't. Those patents are. I mean, shit. I mean, it's just a matter of time before somebody's going to knock your stuff off if it's good stuff. 
you know, mm-hmm. but you're always basically mega bass is kind of always the staple. I mean, that was, that was one of the first good jerk baits that I ever knew of in existence as far as a high quality jerk bait and a lot of jerk baits that came off behind that one and tried to knock it off. But there's a lot of really good jerk baits out there too, that aren't mega bass, but mega bass has kind of got that, you know, it's kind of hit that it's got that label is like, that was King Kong and it stood pretty hard, but you know, is what it is in that aspect. Is you that a yeah. good? They, they coming for it. Is that a challenge for you, Andy? If you're, you know, like fishing in a tournament, and you know, you got coverage, especially in MLF, you guys have way more coverage than others do. Of course, the classic is well covered, but um, you know, you, you know, you got to fish a bait to win, but it's not a bait that one of your sponsors make. Do you you no, wind up in any I, sort of? You don't. Okay. No, no, no. All the companies I work with and do things with, I mean, they're all aware. You can't cover every aspect in the fishing spectrum as a company it's just not possible you think you can you think you've got it covered from a to z but there's always little things little niches like i said around the country that work whether it's a little local bait company some kind of little crazy little worm or whatever it is sometimes you just you've got to you've got to use what works sometimes right that isn't sold by uh, the company that you that you work for I mean, you it ain't like I go out there and just really, you know, throw it in their face by any means, but they understand that you got to stay on top of the leaderboard too, or you're going to, you're going to lose some value for them. Mm-hmm. Well, in your world, you could go to a body of water where they only like a small mouth, like at my lake, certain time of year, you can only catch them on one to two things. And if the company you work for, don't make that. <laughs> Absolutely. They, you know, they got to understand that you're going to have to catch fish, you know? Right. So, you know, I can't always catch them on the zoom on monster in a, in a, a seven, six favorite flipping stick. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like to think I can. <laughs> but I, can't. Uh, I wish I yeah, knew which I button you. on this was the, was the money button the like the crack the cash <laughs> register button. I'd hit that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea what Andy just, Andy just said. <laughs> not, not yet, Aaron. You're, you're about to jump into that head first. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Zumo monsters, not what you're thinking. <laughs> not what you're thinking, Aaron. I can promise. <laughs> than an hour on this podcast because we, we've already hit it and i have a ton of questions to ask andy as well as all of you so <laughs> i'm hoping we can run long let's go yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> okay so the first thing that we got to get out of the way because i know that and while we're talking about sponsors and equipment and what works for someone else levi does not like the quiver on his bow and i <laughs> equivalizer so right <laughs> I have a different name for that. It starts with a D and ends with a nickelizer. And it, it is something that. You can leave that in there. So. Oh, I'll leave it in there here. I just want to, I'm, I'm going to cue this up real quick with a text message between Aaron and I here before uh, we got into that. I wrote to Aaron, hope you're ready to throw down with Levi about the quibbleizer. And Aaron wrote, that's funny considering I've killed more last year than he has in an entire life. I'll be good to go with that. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so it was just gang up on Levi, I guess. Because... <laughs> 
Well, let, let's get into this. Let's, let's do it. I'm ready. I'm sweating yeah, over here now, boys. I'm broke out in a cold sweat right here <laughs> in my archery shop. I'm going to turn the AC on. <laughs> so, yeah, I was actually going to ask you about the equivalizer. Levi, because- I can argue with you all the, the jokes of the equivalizer because I made them for the last few years myself, and now I got one on my bow. So, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's what I wanted to ask you is what your your thoughts were, your honest opinion, because I've never, ever been able to shoot great with a quiver on. So, uh, and I agree with that 100%. I really dislike having a quiver on the right side of my bow. And to a point where it's a little bit different, where sometimes you got to have it on. But, you know, when I was whitetail hunting, most of the time I had an arrow off, obviously knocked on the string. And another one out of the quiver, kind of ready to go for a follow-up. Yep. It's just, it's not as accurate. You got a lot of weight hanging off your bow. Now, you keep in mind with the quiverizer, I kind of made fun of that thing for a while. And finally, I'm like, okay, I've got to give it a good, honest assessment. And with me, with that quiverizer, and this isn't a big sales pitch for the quiverizer. It's just what I found was in non-windy situations it is the same or not the same but i run a back bar as well but it gives me stability the way i have it set up like a longer stabilizer Mm -hmm. i can reload the bow faster and so it's more like a tournament setup with the bonus of reloading but i do have to have a little weight on the bow with a back bar and everything else to kind of you know add uh the weight that i need to be stable but um, I shoot groups at one to one twenty when I'm figuring out like waiting out my bow and, and figuring out what's most consistent and so on and so forth. So now with wind, it's a little more of a problem with wind, but I can shoot close up if I needed to take it off and shoot, you know, 20 yards. It doesn't really matter, but longer distance and reloading, it just made more sense. Now, now, as I say that, I also have a quiver hanging off the front of my bow, which is literally I love Dan Evans, but you want to talk about a fart in church or a pig in a dress, right? It just doesn't look right to most people because they're not used to that. I've just, with all the different testing I've done, it just made more sense. Unless you're ground blind. No, I understand that. What are your thoughts on, so like, at 120 yards, when you start with six arrows in a quiver, and then get down to one and you've changed, you know, 500 grains times five. So whatever that is, 2,500 grains of weight in the front of your bow. Do you see any difference in impact from arrow six to arrow one? At 80 yards, I'm in a paper plate all the time. Okay. At okay. one point. My general response to that is, one, learn how to hunt and get closer, because if you're doing a full quiver dump at 120, you probably <laughs> right? You, not you hear that, Hunter Phelps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you not only suck at, at stalking, you also suck at shooting. So it's like, okay, will there be a change? Of course, you're, you are taking some weight out of it. But the reality is, for most people, it's 60 and in, right, for hunting. Yeah, and in Whitefield, sure. we're getting closer. And so, and, and Levi, you know, like me down in, um, you know, the Davis Mountains or hunting elk or whatever, I'm not afraid to reach out and touch something. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I got a U that was sick that was pretty far away. One to two arrows, zero change. I don't, I don't see anything different. Yep. 
especially compared to the same thing on a quiver mounted to the side of my bow. When I gain an accuracy, having that out of the front of my bow, um, you know, far outweighs some of the potential negative sides. But when people ask me that, I'm like, dude, if you're on a full quiver dump, you really (laughs) think accuracy is paramount? Like, (laughs) come on, let's face it. I will say once about every five years, I will have a good quiver dump. Normally it's on an antelope. Okay. Normally it's on an antelope. There's some bad words said. I yelling at my friends. I have to apologize to them later. And I normally I'll kill it, but it's normally like a quiver dump at 120. Like we're talking about. I have witnessed some of this on, on the, <laughs> on the deleted, deleted scenes. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. yes. No, I I appreciate the input. I, that's always, I guess I'm a little OCD when it comes to that. So I do I do say Dan Evans is a he's a competitive archer. That's the background he comes from. Unbelievable shot too, and a great human being. Um, but that was you know I do looking at it. If I had to shoot a quiver on my bow, like and paint my hair purple and move to Oregon so that all goes together, <laughs> then I would shoot a quiverizer. Don't forget about marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or any of the hard stuff now after two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but what about in the wind, Aaron? Because I, I, when I think about equivalizer, like one of the big advantages that I found now taking the quiver off my bow, because otherwise Levi will accuse me of having purple hair. When I'm shooting in the when I'm shooting in the wind, the biggest advantage I noticed wasn't in the weight change. It was not having that big flag on the side of my bow. It seemed like my bow was a lot more stable in a crosswind than it was before, even for short shots. And I could see with equivalizer just the way leverage works that that might be magnified. Is that not true? No, no, it can be, but I, I guess my thing is like, why don't you take it off your bow then? Yep, yep, and so yeah. and so in the wind, you just take it off. No, I don't, because it doesn't bother me. But I'm just saying for people that that bring this up, and and I shoot in a lot of the the testing I've done was in the Davis Mountains on the border of Mexico and high wind areas in very very south Texas was. When you when you add it all together, and I actually agree with Levi on everything he's talking about, a quiver off your bow is better. There's, no, I mean, you can't be argued. And I'm not saying go with the, like the Chuck Adams route and throw you know a hip quiver on. I am not saying that. But and when when you weigh this out and actually test this, and that's the problem mm-hmm. with archery talk or rock slide or any any of this, who has actually tested? the difference between a quiverizer and a quiver-mounted bow or taking them both off. Who's tested pulling the, the the quiver off the side of their bow and a quiverizer off their bow, you know, meaning obviously changing the tune of your, your dynamics of your bow completely with accuracy, with everything like, like full spectrum mixed in. I believe that the quiverizer wins for the most part when you're looking mm-hmm. at – now, if I just whitetail hunted, hell no. Why would I wear an equivalizer just for whitetail hunting? I'm going to put a take the quiver off my bow, mount it on the tree, and pull yep. my off the quiver on the tree. That doesn't mean – I mean, why are we talking about that? That doesn't matter, right? And I'm not saying we are, but you know what I mean? Like, why am I arguing with that? Of course. But if you are like Levi Morgan and you've got a 87-yard shot – 
are you going to pick trying to pull the bow, the quiver off your bow, off the side of it, or having a longer stabilizer that you've weighted correctly that actually makes you more accurate to take that 87-yard shot? I, I think that if people tested it, they would choose the quiverizer for that yeah. in, in scenario. So I can definitely say for sure it is there. there is no perfect situation because it is a pain in the butt when you've got to take your quiver off. I do it, spot and stalk. I hate that part of spot and stalking because I literally have to carry my quiver once I get in a certain distance. Mm-hmm. So obviously it would be ideal for me to be able to just pick an arrow out of my quiver, load it and fire because I have to literally take an arrow, load it, take my quiver, set it on the ground. You know, if I make, normally I've got an arrow loaded holding my quiver, making those last few steps, I'll get there, lean it against my leg, shoot the shot, you know, go from there, whatever. But it's not ideal. Like, that's a frustrating part of hunting for me. Um, but I've never I've never tested the quiverizer, so I can't speak on that, you know, as far as what I, you know, with like Aaron said. I have tested shooting with a quiver on my bow and off my bow on on a just a normal quiver and this new matthews quiver is a lot better still not ideal you know the new matthews quiver is really sleek in line and light um so they're getting better i mean it's better than it was but i'm still not a quiver on my bow fan and i don't have to be but if you are whatever you know <laughs> yeah I think that um, the one thing people listening in need to understand is there is no right or wrong. There is what's right for you. Well, there's definitely a right or wrong, but within reason. Right. What's for you, what's wrong for you. And, you know, in my case, with the majority of hunting that I do, and my wife will tell you, we got in the turkey blind. I'm like, this equivalizer sucks. Like, <laughs> it is not staying on my bow, and I hope I don't have to make more than a 30-yard shot. Because right. I, I just pulled an entire system off the front of my bow. I'm not going to be as accurate. Now, at 20 yards, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Up, anyway, but I will, I will shoot a turkey at 40 and 50 yards without blinking an eye. Can I do that accurately after pulling the quiverizer off? Not really. No, yeah. it's not. It it changes things, and and that's common sense. But yep. I, I I I um, you know, let's say hypothetically, like next next year, Levi and I go hunting. We're on the exact same stock, and I have the quiverizer on, and Levi is leaning his up against his leg or setting it on the ground or whatever. Am I more efficient on that? potentially on that stock than Levi is having my quiver on 100% until the wind blows. Right. And, right. and then I'm losing and what Levi's winning Would Levi, would you agree with that? Yes. I would say up into, I would, I would hundred percent agree that it's more efficient getting to the shot, getting the full draw when, you know, the pin hits the animal. I haven't tested enough to say whether it's more efficient as far as accuracy goes, but as far as, Getting to the shot, it's definitely a more efficient system. And if you can shoot the same groups with it on as you can without it, then yes, it's a more efficient system in a calm setting in that that scenario for sure. 
Well, and 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 uh, and uh, honestly, Levi should send you one just to screw around with it. But and and I don't. I always get a kick out of this. Like people are like, "Oh, you know, Dan pays you." I can tell you, Dan pays no one. And if 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 you tried the Quivalizer and it made sense on a certain scenario, I have no doubt, Levi, you would you would run it potentially. But yes, for the most a certain part, situation, probably. Yeah, certain situations. But for the most part. You have hunted enough. You are accurate enough. You can make an assessment off of your skill set, your accuracy, and the way that you hunt that you choose to do what you do for a very good reason, and that cannot be argued with. Like, you've been very successful. So the whole – I don't know what you want to call it. Like you shoot something for a specific reason because of money is kind of out the window. And I get all kinds of crazy messages about this. When, when, when you go into an animal Levi and you have a 67 yard bedded deer, Mm -hmm. you're more accurate without a quiver on. Yeah. I I feel that I am for sure. Well, no, I mean, you are, I mean, I, I mean, believe me, I've done a lot of, I've tried every quiver known to man mounted on the side of my bow, and they all suck. Right? They they just throw a ton of weight on the on the op, on the right side of the bow. They're a pain to, to to level out, and so you're more accurate. Now, if you were like um, Billy, Lo- what does a T bone call you, Billy Joe Lunch Bucket? Yeah, <laughs> you might argue. With- you know, that's what it actually is. But this is Levi Morgan. You actually can hit what you're aiming at. So you've decided that off of your accuracy. And, and I, I don't know why anybody would ever argue with that. I mean, it works for you. So, right. Right. Yeah. Total sense. Well, I've compromised enough on my stance on quivers for one conversation. I can tell you that much. <laughs> 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 oh my god oh, shoot what is it go for it no no go ahead i was gonna ask you since we were talking about broadheads a minute ago what broadhead are you hunting with uh sever sever ever yeah reasoning so um i mean there's two basic reasons one just with all the different animals we see hit the ground and in in without uh, getting bashed for me lying or shooting too many animals, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a couple hundred animals hit the ground a year. They, they've just performed well. Um, you can lock right. them like that. Um, you know, super durable, you know, the, all the things that you, you look for in a broadhead. Um, and the biggest thing is uh, the primary thing for me is I can lock them up and shoot practice with them they don't open uh and and hunt with the same broadhead and i like the retention system um that that's the primary reason gotcha how long have they had that locking system since the beginning i mean all they all they've uh done is upgrade the o-ring they use as far as like the retention system they've upgraded it over time so gotcha gotcha but i shot to levi before before swackers i got you that's what uh, yeah bomar i think shot those before he started shooting swackers too well and let's let's be realistic um and you know without anybody crying in their you know on their pillow tonight if Levi called me tomorrow and said, dude, I'm going to send you a hundred schwackers. I want you to run these to ground and tell me realistically, what is the difference between this broadhead and the one you're shooting, which I've already done. Okay. The w- number one thing is on a standard schwacker, it's aluminum ferrule. Mm-hmm. The, the, the titanium, the, the schwacker has a, or excuse me, the, the sever has a titanium ferrule. 
So right. that's that's a difference in, in durability. Um, okay, as far as just straight lethality, is there a difference? I don't think there is, right? And I've sh- and I'm not saying this because Levi's on the podcast, and I have shot a lot of animals with swackers. With when I say swackers, there's multiple different types of swackers, but the standard right. swackers. Um, okay, Aaron, you're going on a moose hunt next year. You got to shoot a swacker. Uh, uh, okay. It's kind of the end of the conversation. Like people will pose these questions to me, like, you know, truth or dare, and you're going to die if you answer it. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm shooting a swacker. Yeah, that's good. Cool. I don't have a problem. I mean, Le- can you, Levi, do you feel comfortable talking about the distance you shot your moose at? Yeah. I shot, well, I mean, I, the one I shot in NWT was 88 with a swacker. And, well, I've killed one of every species in North America uh, with a swacker. So, bear moose muskox whatever you know what happened with the moose at 88 yards i already know what happened but what yeah happened? it went through stuck out both sides the moose ran 50 yards and died you know right in front of us okay. um obviously good arrow placement you know so. yeah okay good arrow placement were you shooting 27 percent foc were you doing it were you shooting a 650 no, gr- shooting a 428 grain arrow at 305 foot a second all right, so uh, again, without getting into the FOC thing, a pretty standard setup, and mm-hmm. you, I, I believe what they told me up there, just because I'm friends with those guys, your veins hung out on the opposite, on the, it passed through and the veins hung up on the uh, exit. Yep. yep. That's a moose at 88 yards. Yep, mm-hmm. a I big one. Yeah, and, and you weren't shooting an overly heavy arrow. So, you know, swaggers perform. I, I mean, they, 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 there's nothing wrong with them. And, and I think people, and Levi, I'll leave this up to you. People will message me and say, I'm shooting a 500-grain arrow at, um, you know, 294 feet per second. Can I shoot a mechanical at an elk? Levi, what would you be your response? Absolutely. Don't hit in the shoulder. But the, the thing is, there ain't nothing getting through that, you know. <laughs> if you hit it in the rib cage. I wouldn't shoot anything but a mechanical, you know, in that situation. Yeah, and and I would agree. And my general response is you can shoot a butter knife if you hit it in the right spot with that setup. Mm -hmm. But I hit it in the shoulder. I'm like, well, you better pray to baby Jesus because I don't care what you're shooting. If you hit the T or the knuckle, it's not going through the scapula on the the soft side. So, but but again, when you ask the question, like what I'm shooting, I, I like those severs. They've been good for me, but yeah. It's not the only option, and I, I know how much stuff you've you've shot. Um, I like the retention system of a swacker. It's very very simple, um, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't. When I say that, and I don't want to bring up, you know, the name of, of a different broadhead company. It starts with an R. I hate that right. system. It's bad. And, it rhymes with opening and flight. Yeah, yeah, and an actual <laughs> animal, and uh, right, and so you know, and this is how I get myself in trouble is being honest. It's like, hey, you know how many times I've seen one of those things open up in a quiver? It mm-hmm. rhymes with a million, yeah. Hot, right. right? So I get frustrated with that because of marketing and things like that. It's like, hey, if that broadhead works for you, and there's people that shoot it, great. I rub some funk on it, shoot that thing. But I can mm-hmm. tell you with experience that that thing, you will go to full draw. Magically, one of the blades will open. It'll hit your riser. Your arrow is going to pop off at full draw. You're going to look at me as your guide and be like, what happened? And I'm going to be like, well, you picked a rage and they suck. 
So let down and reload because that's what happens when you have that plastic clip retention system. Um, yeah. I agree. That, but go ahead. No, I, I look total. That's honesty. I mean, I, and they're, they'll kill. I mean, obviously the people kill with them all the time and lots of stuff, but I, I agree. It's not the best option for me. That's for danger. And I, uh, you know, the thing I've always loved about a swacker, yeah, they do have aluminum ferrules and, you know, maybe you bend one every now and then. I've never broken a ferrule, but I have bent some. And, um, but I, the thing I've always loved is the way they open up. And that's one of the things people have the biggest problem with, I think, with a swacker or that they don't like is they don't get big entry holes, you know. Right. But, I just watch stuff die so fast because those fresh blades cutting vitals. And that's kind of was always the thing that lured me in and, and just one of the products I have so much confidence in. I've never shot a sever. I haven't shot anything but a swacker since Oregon Roosevelt elk. Uh, however long ago that was six or seven years ago, I, I had to shoot a fixed blade and hated my life the whole time. <laughs> worked out for you though it did i heart shot an elk at at 101 yards and watched it run a half a mile it was great (laughs) (laughs) i got it i got it i want to let me back up for just a second levon i think what you're saying there is is you actually so there's a trade-off and what aaron and levi are talking about here for anyone listening is there's just trade-offs that you have to make in archery and a lot of these decisions you make between like when we're talking about quiver or no quiver it's all about what you know it's just not a zero-sum game so what i'm hearing you say levi is some people they don't like the swacker because they want a big entry hole on both sides to maximize that outlet of blood, blood on blood both trail. sides exactly. on blood trail, right yeah. but what i hear you saying that i hadn't considered before i think you said fresh blades cutting vitals so what you like about it is the blades don't actually open until they've come through the hide and so they're sharper Correct. when they pass through all the critical stuff inside is that true yeah you know i grew up like everybody else shooting muzzies and wasps and thunderheads and all that you know when i was a kid <clears throat> and the walmart I, yeah, exactly. My dad would buy a six pack of muzzies from Walmart, remember, with all the blades. Oh, yeah. And they were in a big six pack. And that's what we used all year. They come with some replacement blades, and that was our year. Like, we shared broadheads, and if those were gone, I didn't get to kill anything else with those pretty much. You know what I'm saying? So I went through it with, with shooting stuff. One, one day I'd shoot a, not anything big growing up, but I'd shoot a doe. Hit it behind the shoulder and it would go 30 yards and fall over dead. And the next time I'd shoot it and hit it behind the shoulder and I might never find it, but I'd be very little blood trail, but I'd find my arrow and a, you know, three, two of the three blades are broke off. And I'm like, is that happening on the rib cage on the entry? You know, is it breaking my blades before they get to the vital? Is that why I'm not getting, or not dying fast or, you know, no blood and so that's always been a question, and that's why what I said earlier when Swacker's the way it opens. Like when I saw the way it opened, I was like, "That's genius," you know, because with about every other head, you cut through that hide, bone, and fat before you get to vitals with your blades, and you're doling. If nothing else, you're doling the blades from where they were, not not doling them completely, but from razor sharp out of the pack. 
And sometimes, in some cases, I think breaking blades before you ever get to vitals. And I think that's where you get the inconsistent blood trail, inconsistent, uh, you know, distance from one animal to the next with the same shot. Whereas whacker, sometimes I get insane blood trails. Sometimes they're not insane blood trails. But if I hit them in the rib cage or, you know, in the vitals anywhere, normally they're within 150 yards. And so that was, you know, the reason I have confidence in it mainly, you know, and always been my selling point for the swacker. How about, how about this, Aaron and Levi? Is the, is the biggest factor, though, the flight of the swacker and the sever? Is that the most attractive to you guys as far as a killing broadhead is you're able to place that broadhead because it is that much more accurate? Levi, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of tee you up to knock a softball out of the park. Um, okay. And thing I talk about constantly. Um, when you look at a mechanical broadhead, and this is not to be argued, no matter what, it is more accurate than a, a fixed weight broadhead. Now, then you get to the slight percentage of chance of a mechanical not opening, which is generally somebody on archery talk making an excuse for making a bad shot. But there is a chance that a mechanical broadhead could fail. What mm-hmm. people leave out is the high probability that someone is going into the field with a fixed blade broadhead that is not tuned or yeah. the high probability of someone taking a shot where they're torquing their bow because it's uphill, downhill, you know, off, uh, offset footing. And it changes the you know tune of the bow to a certain degree, or they're death gripping it, which changes the impact of the fixed blade broadhead. Also, the lack of blood trail with a fixed blade broadhead. Now, some people mm-hmm. have to a fixed blade because really low poundage, things like that, short draw length, and, and it's just better to shoot like an elk with a fixed blade. But if you add up the numbers. And you, when I say that, meaning you look at the lethality of a of a mechanical broadhead, and you figure the point oh 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 one percent chance of that mechanical failing, in comparison to the better arrow flight, uh, you know, when compared to a, a fixed blade, the mechanical wins every time. In my and, opinion, and, and it'll salvage uh, a torque shot or a mistake that the archer makes in a panic to shoot an animal as far as it's going to be more accurate if you made a mistake in torquing your bow, et cetera, versus a fixed blade. 100%. Yes. In my opinion. Yes. And if you, you know, people always talk about, especially these Ashby theories guys, which are like literally a cult. What if I hit the shoulder knuckle? Well, what if my aunt grow ball, grows balls and become my uncle, right? I, it could right. happen, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of square footage behind the shoulder, which are much higher percentage chance of hitting the liver or the stomach or the intestines and hitting something with a 338 Lapua compared to a 223 or a 5.56. Correct. Right. Oh, and that's the yeah. difference between a mechanical and a fixed blade. But uh, Levi, go ahead. Take it from there if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. What you're talking about with impact on so like fixed blade is so critical. And it's like putting veins on the front of your arrow. And when you torque a bow or moving on the shot, anything, because that arrow, when it comes out of the bow, if it's not perfect, those, those, the broadhead is guiding it. So that's what we talk about planing and going all over the place. And, and it's just, it's going to happen. There's, there's no way I can, I can 
I can take a pack of broadheads or fix, and I cannot. I have tried to take six broadheads at 100 yards and, and get them to shoot as well as mechanicals, and it just is impossible for me to do it. Maybe somebody can. I can't do it. And, um, and yeah, the, the advantages to a mechanical versus the, the fixed blade, it doesn't, it's not even close for me. Like, and, and the, I mean, (laughs) I am losing my train of thought. I am so like surprised that somebody could argue otherwise, really. I mean, I don't understand the argument from the fixed blade. I, I think it's every time the shoulder issue, a penetration issue. I understand for kids, people that shoot 45 pounds and have a 27 inch draw, right. you, can't, you can't push a two inch mechanical through an elk, right? So, yeah, of course, you're going to limit your range, and maybe your range is already limited. If you're a 30 yard guy, maybe you as far as arrow flight or tuning goes, but if you're past 50, and mechanicals are a way better option, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, just and honestly, you've got two feet of an elk that you can hit behind the shoulder with a mechanical and kill it very quickly. Yeah. And there is literally a three-inch area in its shoulder that you need to stay away from. That you, you know can't even kill with a rifle if you hit him there. Yeah, but you, here's the problem: you can have the most FOC of all time, and. Uh, a two blade single bevel head and, and hit that knuckle. And if it's moving, when you hit that knuckle, it's going to go in two inches, just like a mechanical. Mm-hmm. Add to that. <laughs> I, I've shot well over a hundred pounds before for many years. It doesn't matter if you're shooting a hundred pounds, it's not going through maybe 1% of the time. And you always hear that, uh, the unicorn story, Oh, you know, Jed Smith, uh, he, he actually split that, uh, that ball in the shoulder. Well, I'm sure proud of him. And I, I, Michael Jordan made it in the NBA and won a lot of championships, but I'm not Jordan, right? That's one yeah. time. <laughs> now let's talk right. about Pat and, and Seth and Neil and Bob and Dale and everybody else that hit it in the liver or the stomach. Yeah. And lost it. Probably. So, yeah, no, 100%. I, I agree. I mean, again, situations, certain people, certain situations, I get the the, the fixed plate thing. For the majority of bow hunters, I think they would they would be have a way higher ratio of, of finding the animals they shoot if they shot really sharp mechanicals. And another thing that bothers me is people that say, these shoot just like my field points. I don't care what mechanical it is. Most situations, it's not going to shoot just like your field point past 60 yards, probably 50 yards. And that's one of the reasons I love a Swacker too, this new one, and the Severs, I didn't know that, that locked down. And you can literally take the broadhead that you are going to shoot in the field at an animal and go practice with it. And I know that this arrow with this broadhead, it's what I'm aiming at, at 110 yards. I don't have to take a field point and then screw my broadhead on and go, gosh, I hope those those marketing ploys are right where my field point hits with my broadhead. I literally can test it and know that this broadhead that I'm going to shoot the animal with today is good all as far as my pins will go. You know, and, and um, I think that's a huge plus too. I don't think people should trust that they're tied in with field points and then screw their broadheads on no matter what broadhead you shoot 
and go trust it in the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree, and I'm I'm lucky enough with with the setup I have at my house as well as is Levi. Um, I'm, I I can shoot out of my garage, so no wind, so I can test wind drift and you know everything else. And you know the thing is, is like last we were shooting what 107 yesterday, 107 yards. I had like analog 3D. Um, keeping them in the tin ring with field tips and the, the mechanical that I was shooting was right, like right at that eight line, you know, so eight to 10 line as good as I can shoot, but a four inch drop. And that is just, I mean, you cannot, that, that is wind drag. You cannot, Mm -hmm. I I think Levi on one of my podcasts, you said, if your broadheads are hitting the same at a hundred yards as your field tips, your bow's probably out of tune. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I've literally argued with guys, and I'm like, look, guys, I'm not saying you don't know how to tune a bow. All I am saying is if you are shooting something the size of a stop sign at 100 yards, how do you know what you're actually getting as far as, you know, like, like wind drag or drift or whatever else? And so, you know, what I found is at 100 yards, usually with a, uh, uh, some mechanicals are way worse than others. With a streamlined mechanical, it's only three to four inches, but there is a difference in wind drag. Right. With a higher profile mechanical, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just the wing blades and the shape and the length. Everything is is dragging wind, you know, going down range. And it's, it's normally if your bow's tuned right, you're going to hit low, you know. Um, just because that arrow is slowing down faster than it does with a fill point. And another thing is I don't tune my bow with fill points because they're different lengths than, than my, my field points. So they're different lengths than my broadheads. So I, I'll tune with my swacker on because it's, you know, a half inch longer than field points. And that changes the spine of the arrow and changes how it reacts too, you know? So you're um, about to ruin my life, life Levi, Matt delete that <laughs> <laughs> uh, i want to delete it just for the fact that you're talking about this levi and now i feel like i've got to rebuild all my arrows <laughs> well you're gonna rebuild your arrows you just gotta shoot through eight. paper again yeah. or at least make sure it shoots a bullet hole the same as your your fill points do at least test it you know yeah it, yeah one of the worst days of my life was the day after Levi started uh, talking about your arrow rotation naturally with no veins <laughs> on. was literally a day that I should have started drinking because, like, guys are messaging me about this. And I'm like, look, it matters, but I've never paid attention. Okay, yeah. well, man, I'm shooting right helical. I clock my arrow. It's shooting left helical. I'm like, then scrape all your crap off and shoot left helical, man. I, <laughs> you're welcome. I don't want to deal yeah, with welcome. it. you're welcome welcome. i had about i think maybe 40 archery shops unfollow me and and probably send me death threats after that no well but yeah i I only brought it up to you two or three times where i was like dude this guy can't hit a stop sign at 40 yards and he's clocking his arrows and changing his fletching like you're killing me um Maybe he'll hit it next time. That's right. <laughs> right in, the O. In case you I did. guess, I don't know. I get, uh, I, I, I don't know. I like to play with stuff, and sometimes I find things that I'm like, dang, that made a tiny difference for me, so I'm going to tell everybody. And then people like Aaron are like, God, I wish you wouldn't say stuff like that. Well, the, the thing <laughs> is, if you gun to my head, does it make a difference? 
It's got to. It can't not make a difference. Right. I had what percentage of people can know? One percent, maybe, would tell me. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and it's like those guys that message me, and, and uh, I mean, Levi, I'm sure you can chime in, and, and, I, and hopefully we can talk about bass fishing in a minute. But hey, man, I am not happy with my arrows. I just ordered a dozen of whatever, and they're three grains difference in the dozen. What what are your parameters? And I'm like, ah, man, I forget to weigh mine a lot, so I don't have a parameter. <laughs> I group tune You know, I'm like, um, the spine consistency, it's much more important to me. I'm not saying the weight isn't a bad thing, like you want your arrows to weigh the same. But spine consistency is more important, and... I, I do, you know, obviously check my arrows, but man, uh, three grains in a dozen, I, I wouldn't stress over that. I don't think you'd notice 10 to 15 grains in 100 yards. Right. That literally is like calling their mom a prostitute. Are you? Yep. I'm like, oh, no, I'm kidding you. But Levi, you're one, one, of, one of the greatest or the greatest archer of all time. Can you notice a difference of 10 grains in an arrow at 80 yards? Yes, but not very much. Okay, so how much can you tell? Eh, inch and a half. And and I'm assuming it's low. It's low, yeah. Okay. If the spine is inconsistent or it's a lower dollar arrow, do you notice more difference in spine consistency or arrow weight? Oh, definitely spine consistency. Can you touch on that before we shift to bass fishing? Because before you guys say, oh, we're done, I got a bunch of questions for Andy. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, well, spine consistency is just how that arrow reacts out of the bow. So that's giving the arrow direction, right? So um, if you have, you know, spine I don't know about, you know, if you're, this is what you meant by spine consistency is just having the spine turn the right way, having a consistent amount of spine between from arrow to arrow but that is the most important part of an arrow build in my opinion when i'm building an arrow i want it, that arrow reacting exactly the same out of the bow because that's the direction the bow's giving it i can take an arrow that weighs 450 an arrow all the way to my tournament arrows are six grains apart you know but i up to 50 yards you don't see it period you know i see guys weighing their knocks and weighing inserts and i've done it and couldn't tell a difference so i quit doing it because it takes too much time but long story short spine consistency is definitely king over arrow weight consistency well it all matters it makes a difference most people are not gonna you you won't even see a difference in a hooter shooter at 80 yards until you get to six seven grains as far as out of about the same arrow hole you know so um, but if you turn the spine on those arrows, you're going to shoot a softball size group out of a hooter shooter. You know, if you turn the spine down on one, left on one, up on one, right on one, it's it's going to react different, come out of the bow different. Wow. So, I didn't, that's, yeah. But, well, hmm. I mean, we figured that out knock tuning years ago before we even knew why it was happening. We just started turning knocks till it hit the same. I was just going to say, Levi, can you, um, I just have a, a video for YouTube, but I haven't posted it up talking about indexing a knock for outliers is what it's called. Meaning, you know, you mark your arrows and you have one, one arrow hitting out of the group at 50 or 60. Um, 
talk about indexing the knock or or, or spine alignment or, or 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 twisting the knock to get it to group back in. Yeah, so that's another reason I like four fletch um, because it gives me four different places I can turn that knock and kind of micro turn from there because I, you know, I'm not sure exactly why this happens, but even if I build all my arrows, find the perfect spine, what I think I'll have either two or three dozen, I'll have two or three arrows. It just won't hit with the rest of them. But normally I can go to, you know, if I'm at a hundred yards and I got one hitting six inches from the rest of them, I can start turning that knock. And if it's right, I can turn it. It'll hit. Maybe then it'll hit a little closer to the dot, but low, turn it again. And normally I can get it in there in one of those positions. It'll start hitting with the arrows. And that's kind of used to, we would do that. We'd build a two dozen arrows and 10 of them would hit together and then four of them would hit together in a different place and four of them would hit together in a different place. And so we would start turning knocks until the majority of the arrows would hit. And so all we were doing was finding the correct spine or getting, you know, consistent spines. And we didn't know that when I was younger. Um, but that, that's how I, you know, get all my arrows to hit together still. But I just start with most of them right now. Uh, Gillingham told me you shoot four fletch because he told you to. (laughs) (laughs) I love Gillingham. Hey, that dude knows a lot about bows and arrows, but he's got some crazy theories. I do think four fletch is more consistent, you know, no doubt, but um, I don't shoot it for competitions. So it's, it's weird. Like um, with, with the different fletchings and, and I try to explain this to, um, you know, whether it be a hunter or somebody getting into tuning and you know how it is, like you're getting into archery and learning things that it's not a horrible idea to fletch three arrows up with one fletching configuration and then another three with a different, you know, whether it be offset, shorter vein, longer vein, low profile, high profile, whatever. And if you're really consistent at 60 yards to have your one set of three arrows be the black Sharpie and the next set be the blue, and, and to shoot and then circle each arrow every time you shoot, uh, let's say you, you flip a one one spot over, or excuse me, a one spot NFAA face. Over time, you're, you may see a difference in one of those fletching configurations that it's more accurate, especially at longer distances. Is it going to be the end of the world? No. I mean, honestly, I mean, Levi, I mean, I like attack veins. If you're going to suggest a vein for someone to shoot all around for like, hey, I shoot 3D sometimes, I hunt, whatever. My general is like, hey, shoot a 2.6 inch ish, two three quarter vein, have some offset on there, rub some funk on it. What do you suggest? Absolutely, attack 2.75 with at least a two degree, and that that'll get the job done for everything. I hunt, I've hunted with that setup, perfect. I compete with that setup still to this day. So. I think for the best all-around setup, that that's it. A two and three-quarter inch vein with some helical on it, and and let it go. Gotcha. Well, yeah. uh, Andy, can I pester you with some questions about bass fishing now, or, or absolutely? <laughs> Um, so, uh, first off, my my wife and I are looking at buying a boat. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I will say I know about as much about uh, buying a boat as I as as I do about uh, w- women's makeup, right? I, I know that they float, right? So, um, w- with where we're at, there there's walleye, there's pike, there's muskie. 
Um, is, is it smart to buy a brand new boat? Do you buy a used boat? Like, what are we looking at as far as that goes? Like, how much electronics do we need? And, and up here, there's a little, there's tiger muskie, there's walleye, there's bass, a little bit of everything. Um, and I've had people ask me this question. I'm like, bro, I am the wrong guy to ask. I, I know float tubes uh, and kayaks, right? I know nothing about a boat. Give us your info, obviously, for, you know, what, what do people want? 18 foot, 19, 21 foot? Like, there's a ton of info that I don't know. Oh, yeah. What kind of water do you have there as you got? I mean, is it big water, wide water? Was wind's going to be a big factor? Uh, rivers? It's uh, wet. And so it's, <laughs> it's big, windy. It's big water and windy. So water, we, windy. We're, okay. we're not going to be running rivers. It's just giant, very large lakes, and it's Wyoming, so a lot of wind. Lots of wind. So, I, I mean, at, at that point, uh, of course, you know, going to buy a new boat right now is not cheap. I don't care what brand you get, what size you get, et cetera. It's going to be expensive. And the factory on a used boat is really tough to find because during the COVID era here, lots of people bought boats. Everything that would float, especially around here, there's somebody in it fishing out of it right now. And they're just really tough to find. They're getting uh, a, a little a little more findable and viable right now since, you know, things are starting to change some. But uh, in that kind of water, I mean, I don't know that you wouldn't be better off with like a deep bead type aluminum boat i mean because you're going to get into some pretty big water and lots of wind like you said in wyoming and uh walleye muskie i mean i don't know how much bass fishing you guys will do up there i don't even know if there's very many bass in wyoming i mean i'm sure there's some uh but that's that's really popular because the deeper the v is the better that boat's going to ride the better it's going to take big water and it's just it's just a lot softer and not to mention way drier. So when you're running into some side wind, so you got a wind coming from right to left, left to right, whatever, and that boat's cutting those waves and blowing out to the side, unless that boat's pretty deep, you're going to get pretty wet and pretty quick. So a deep V aluminum boat is really hard to be. You see a lot of guys up north running on that walleye fish, Lunds, uh, et cetera. I don't know what kind of brands they run. Levi and Matt, you probably see a lot of those running around in places. Uh, even mm-hmm. the down here, it's fiberglass bass boats, sleek fast bass boats, kind of down here where I'm running, and uh, we don't we don't deal with that much wind down here as far as great big water. So like um, like a crest liner would be. I mean, I again, and I'm, yes. I'm into this. Um, a tracker, our tracker is very good. Like you know, mm-hmm. like pretend like I'm a guy that didn't graduate high school with boats. Um, <laughs> Man, I, I don't really know. I know I know John Cox runs a crest liner that fishes with it. Isn't that a crest liner, Levi? Yes, it is. I thought so. And it's a pretty deep boat that John runs. Uh but he's got it rigged up. I mean, it's obviously a bass boat. Uh but his look good. I mean, it's I'm thinking it's a twenty or twenty one foot boat. Now the bigger the boat, there's no substitute for length, okay? On a lot of different factors That's here on what Earth. Okay? <laughs> That's what she said. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most edits I've ever had to make in a podcast. <laughs> what? We don't say like a Don't blame me. I'm moving in. <laughs> you know how many times I've listened to our podcast and called Andy and be like, Matt edited what I said out. 
Fucking mine too. If you want to hear yeah. the explicit version, you can listen to it on Kafaru Cast. <laughs> hey, that's not good for me because all I've got is Gurus going. I mean, I, 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 I don't know what to say. It's not funny. No. <laughs> Andy, my bad. My bad. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, dude, these I, I, the Crestliner, like I said, it, that was a good version. I know Lund's been around forever as far as a, a deep V aluminum boat, and they're big walleye guys. Um, so that, that that's kind of a good question. I run a bullet, and and that's a sleek, fast fiberglass boat. It's not. I mean, we run some really big water from time to time, but you really you need to know what you're doing. Not everybody needs to be running a bass boat in big water. Even some guys that fish on a professional level probably don't have any business running a bass boat on big water from what I've seen. Uh, that'll kind of take away from inexperience. If you've got a boat that is built to handle that, you'll get by with a lot more mistakes and be totally safe if you've got something that'll handle it. Like I said, a 21-foot boat is... Is uh, there's no there's no substitute for that length. A 20, 21, 20 foot Lund or a Crestliner deep V multi species for what you're doing, Aaron, is probably a really good choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, now, can you get shallow decks on those, Andy or Matt? Maybe yes. y'all know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you okay. can get where the deck is. The deck's usually built up, so the, the cockpit mm-hmm. will be sunk in, which it helps to keep you dry, like Andy was saying. I, we fish big water consistently here on the Columbia, and I can't tell you how many days I've been out soaking wet. It's blue sky and 90 degrees out. Beautiful day, and we are absolutely drenched from the yep. from the, from the the spray coming off the side of the boat. Yeah, side spray. Yep. So, um, like, I was talking to Levi uh, a little bit earlier in the week about, like, like just fishing because where we're at right now is a little bit uh, more conducive to fishing uh, compared to where I was. Um, you know, I'm used to, like, backpacking in, fishing for cutthroats, and I'm, I'm, I mean, literally fish that you would probably use for bait, like six, eight, ten inches, you know, a type of cutthroat or brookies or whatever. Um I got into like walleye fishing for a while. I got into musky fishing and then, um, you know, I, I, I started bass fishing when I lived in Minnesota, fishing Wisconsin, uh, you know, North Dakota. I, um, coming from, you know, using a, like a, a number 20 midge, uh, you know, fly fishing with a mm-hmm. uh, four pound test. The first thing I thought of was a giant jacked up truck with chrome wheels <laughs> ever to the dirt. I'm like, Texas rig, what the hell is that? And so I, I, I uh, which is very conducive. You, if you live in uh, Dallas, Texas, that is like literally everyone um, has that exact rig. But when, when you're looking at setting up for like, uh, you know, musky uh, bass, like, you know, pike, whatever, um, what would you say the budget is? Like, if you're like me, I'm going to go buy a boat and get set up for fishing. I'm having a midlife crisis, a midlife fishing crisis. How much are you looking at spending on the boat, on the, on the reels, on the rods, on everything to get going? Because, you know, I get this question, you know, from people and I just don't know. Yeah. Well, he explained what I just did over the last five years. Levi's <laughs> <laughs> probably got the damn receipt. <laughs> yeah. Well, Aaron, since you asked, no, uh, <laughs> let me dig my receipts up here. <laughs> Go I'm ahead, Andy. Say, this is honest to God truth, and I'm going to say 150 grand. 
Yeah. You're talking when you buy the propeller mm-hmm. to the trolling motor to the rods, the reels, and you put electronics on, and you're and you're and you're wanting you're talking midlife crisis, so you're wanting a Corvette here, you're wanting something nice. You're going right. to trick all that out and have multiple rod and reels and stuff. I'd say 150 grand be a pretty fair assumption when you leave out. I'd say it's, you about nailed it on the head, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I, I, I'm not having a midlife crisis where I want to find a new woman. I want the woman I have to be happy. So, right, I, I, I'm i looking at 150 grand. I, th- well, I think you could, like, if you're just somebody calling in asking you questions about this, Aaron, like, it depends how deep you want to go. Now, Andy, you're talking about, you know, like, for guys like us, we, yeah, yeah, top, top of the line, line, we've got, like, I've got a lifetime, literally a lifetime of tackle and rods and reels, and, and, and there's 35 rods in my boat that are $350 a piece with $300 reels on them. And there's, yeah. you know, now, I mean, I've got old, what's old electronics on my boat now, I'm, you know, don't even have the forward facing sonar, but shoot, now you can spend as much. If you're talking midlife crisis, your electronics in your boat and the trolling motor cost as much as your big motor does. And oh, it's over $20,000. If you trick it out with forward facing sonar, uh, spot lock trolling motor, I mean, exact. it would actually probably cost you more than your big engine mm-hmm. nowadays so yeah. i mean dude you're at 20 and 40 you're at 40 grand on your big engine and your and your electronics at a minimal yeah you don't even have a boat hole to put it on at that point no yeah no so mm-hmm. i mean that's a that's relief a what about lessons to uh back the trailer up <laughs> 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 you get oh you get God. good at that quickly i'm sure uh, you're uh, for for somebody like i bet for thirty thousand dollars if you are thirty to fifty thousand dollars if you were if you just wanted to get a like start yourself with the setup six rods six reels cut, you know three three flats of tackle so that you could kind of get started in the addiction and a boat that was used you're probably in yeah. that range somewhere not going full in and still staying married and all that yeah Oh, right, exactly. You don't have to go full tilt and go into all the electronics and all that stuff. Now, you're going to need some of that. You're going to need a nice, deep, you know, depth finder, GPS unit on the back. Same on the front. Nice trolling motor. Uh, Glasgow, Hummingbird 360. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna spend you're gonna spend thirty to fifty grand if you want to even look like you remotely know what you're doing at the boat ramp. So let's just talk about the boat ramp for a minute. Um, I am not the best backer upper um, known to man. I am not Tomater, and I lived in Minnesota for a while, and I, I fished with a lot of different uh, you know people that knew what they were doing. And I went to the Lake of the Woods, and it, as you guys can imagine, there was a ton of different people ready to. Like 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 unload their boat at at the dock. Oh yeah. So we had a uh, standard size vehicle and we had a very short boat. Thank God it was light and a single axle. And I will say uh, that uh, my now thank God my buddy was about six foot eight and three hundred pounds, very large individual. We kind of swapped back and forth, looked like Family Guy if you ever watched that, trying to. Oh yeah you know, backing it up. And so it got to a point, there's about 30 vehicles waiting for us and we're not smart enough nor, nor, nor equipped to uh, back that bad boy up against the dock. (laughs) At a certain point we got uh, out and picked the uh, trailer and boat up and then just picked it up and carried it to the right angle. And, uh, 
individual and people started clapping like uh like you just heard somebody won the uh you know the nfl national championship right that we, we got to play um it was a short boat but um i i you know and all, all joking aside like is a crest liner like the all like the, the best bet for all around as far as like walleye bass uh you know pike crappie bluegill things like that yeah, it's really popular, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of them running around, and they're a solid rig for sure. Mm-hmm. So, Lee, Levi, it sounds like did you um, have a fishing midlife crisis over the last year? Like, did you load up on all this, like I'm about to do with Amy? Yes, I did. I, um, I've always had a fishing addiction. Yeah, I had. You know, I have. I've had a bass boat since like I don't know, since I was in my twenties, but. I never really had the budget to have a midlife crisis <laughs> until, you know, a few years back. So um, as soon as I was able to really go out and get the boat I want, I I went and bought a brand new Ranger, you know, Z521 and a 21-footer and all the electronics and power poles and uh, luckily I know this guy that used to be pretty good at fishing. So I got some pretty good deals on the rods and reels and, <laughs> and whatnot, but I, I bought the boat. Shit out of my boat. And it yeah. disappeared. I, exactly. Yeah. Pretty good. At, at, I learned how to keister and went to his house and took a bunch of his fishing tackle. <laughs> Finesse swim baits, finesse swim baits. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the finesse ones. But no, yeah, I, de- I definitely went all out. I, I have everything that I can think of that I need now for fishing. And uh, no, but yes. So, and I spent probably over the last, so I bought my boat when COVID hit um, in 2020. And mm-hmm. since then on fishing tag, I spent 80, 86 on my boat. And then I, I guarantee you it's, it's 125, you know, for what I've got in that boat right now. And, uh, I got, I hope Samantha don't listen to this because some of that stuff, I feel like I snuck past her, but I'm not sure. So I doubt it helps. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, you can spend more than what I spent if you let yourself, but I think you could accomplish what I did with way less, like what Matt's talking about, because I fished with used, you know, I had a used Ranger before that I bought for 20 grand. And the main thing, honestly, is the electronics that I don't think you can live without. I think you could get a cheaper boat and a cheaper, you know, not as many rod and reels, but some of these electronics nowadays, in my opinion, have made catching fish so much easier. Mm-hmm. That I, even if I had to go buy a cheap boat, I'd still put the best electronics on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where you stand on that, Andy, but no, you, you have to, I I mean, it depends on what you're going to do. If you're going out just fishing the weekends, you're not fishing tournaments, you know, and you're going to Wyoming, which probably doesn't have that much fishing pressure. Yeah. You you know, you probably don't need that, but it depends on how damn serious you want to be. I mean, it is, it is a advantage, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, I mean, it's it's kind of a necessity as far as if you really want to catch them and get serious, it's it's damn near as important as your trolling motor anymore. 
Uh, well, I'm very um, competitive. My wife's Italian, so I would say it probably might get serious. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, um, you know, with Andy, like, and I, I hope you guys uh, don't mind me taking over the podcast for a second. Like, I've studied up on you a ton. Like, uh, you're pretty much a goat in uh, in fishing in general. But like, with with um, when did you decide to go pro? What, you know, was there any time, um, and I hope you guys don't mind me taking this over, was there a time where you were like, okay, I got to go start hanging drywall. This is not panning out for me. Like, like what, <laughs> what the, what's it been like, you know, as far as fishing? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, even when I was a kid, dude, that's, that's all I wanted to do. And I had it figured out when I was, I don't know, God, young. We started fishing tournaments when I was just a kid, me and my dad, uh, me and my cousin Vic Welch, we started fishing little evening tournaments. So I got in my blood. So I've always fished and it's one of those things I've watched, watch it on TV back then. It was the Bassmasters. That was the only game in town. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And I just wait till I get big enough to get out on the road. And I'm fixing to do that for a living. And dude, honest to God, I've never slowed down. But where I grew up here, I mean, dude, we're in the Mecca right here on the Tennessee River. Within two hours of my house, you've got some of the world's best fishing as far as bass fishing, as far as largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass. So I grew up in a great part of the world. And I made a living practically fishing, I guess, since I was 15 years old. I never did really have to take anything from my mom and dad as far as gas money or uh, walking around money, anything like that. Like that, my my dad bought me a boat. My dad and granddad bought me a boat when I was 15, and I actually won a, a pretty major tournament out of it, a local tournament, um, probably the second tournament I ever fished when I was by myself. So... This is all before high school fishing and all this kind of stuff. So I was a freshman in high school, and I'm coming out of the gates fishing, you know, bass tournaments. I kind of like Levi did in archery. I was fishing with all the grown-ups. So as I went forward, I just kind of, you know, kept getting into it a little bigger. I worked for my mom and dad as I got up to 20 years old, 18, 20 years old. I went, okay, I went to college for a semester and a half and figured out that wasn't for me. I paid for it. I wasn't like it out of mom and dad's pocket. All I wanted to do was shoot pool down at the pool hall down there when we had the, our breaks between classes, and I couldn't wait to get out of that dump so I could go fishing. So <laughs> semester and a half into that, school who uh, can halfway through my second semester, I should say, I walked by and threw my books in the dumpster and said, I'll never be back, and I never went back. I worked for mom and dad at electrical supply house and I fished every chance I could and everything I've ever accomplished and earned has been through bass fishing. And typically back then there was no sponsors. It was just winnings. And I just kept getting into the bigger game as far as bigger tournaments. I started traveling when I was 20, 19 or 20. And, uh, kind of been on the road ever since just fishing, just, you know, kicking by there's been a couple of close calls i remember i got a credit card when i first left home entry fees were getting up there eighteen hundred dollars you know fifteen eighteen hundred two thousand dollars to get in each event and i got a credit card had five thousand dollar limit on it and i said if i get to where i can't pay that i get that far behind i'll quit traveling i'll just fish around the house and and i'll keep it close and boy did i get close a couple times 
but I would win enough to knock it down. I'd pay it off or I'd pay two thirds of it off. And finally I got ahead and just kept, you know, clipping away at it. And in 2003, it was, uh, I just went full time. I didn't work for mom and dad anymore. I just went full time fishing and, and never, never looked back. It's been good. There's been some, you know, decently dry times, but for the most part, it's, I've had a, you know, pretty solid career, I should say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Considered the best that ever lived, more top yeah. ends than any other fisherman in, in <laughs> the history of bass fishing. It went decent, I'd say for you. <laughs> you keep your head up, cash a few checks. You got a future in, in this game. <laughs> so you're talking about- oh shoot, I've had a good career. Dude, there's a lot of guys I, I feel like are way better than me. I just, I just made the most of what I had. You know, I made good decisions, and and you know, I knew when. You know, when you had to fold them sometimes and just got to try to go cash a check because that's the only chance you had. And I knew when there was times so really you could strike. And you know, I've been it's been a, it's been a good road for me. It's been a, a blessing for sure. But that's all I've ever really done. So I have no complaints. So with mm-hmm. that, like uh, I would say uh, Levi, um, I would say Dan, Dan Dan McCarthy has probably been your number one competitor for the most part. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and and Dan is one of those guys. Like I, I, you know, I watch YouTube where, like Dan must be literally one of the nicest guys in the world because as he's talking about crushing some competitor, he's like, "Man, I really wanted Andrew Callaway to win." I'm like, "Well, you could have thrown it, Dan, I guess, right? Like the, the dude is just nice, right?" Like, <laughs> But that's been your number one competitor, Levi. Uh, Andy, who's been like, like competitive, like uh, competition wise, who's been like, whether it be your nemesis or your competitor, who's someone that's like really like someone that you're always knowing, like, okay, this guy, I got to beat this oh, guy. And there's several of them, man. There's, I don't know, God, there's, there's a bunch of guys anymore. This thing's really mixed up. It's, it's not. It's never been totally dominated by an individual until the last couple of years. And his name is Jacob Wheeler. And Levi knows him well. Levi's actually fished with him, too. I fished against Jacob, uh, with Jacob. Me and Jacob's good buddies. He is what I've seen in my lifetime. Kevin Van Dam was unbelievable and still is unbelievable. But for what Kevin's done and what Jacob is fixing to do, Jacob is just an absolute phenom. And I've seen people get on some tears that you couldn't stop. I mean, it was every month they would, you know, they may not win the event, but they were in the top 10, which is, you know, is generally where you can make the most money. I, you know, I've seen them come and go, but Jacob by far is, is the most dominant that I've seen in my career. Kevin, mm-hmm. Kevin Van Dam early on was, was unbeatable at times. And uh, Jacob Wheeler's been like that now. And there's a bunch of guys, dude. There's a whole bunch of guys. And I, I, I started naming guys. He'll, I'd leave a bunch of them out, I'm sure. But a lot of them's kind of come and gone and, and still hang. There's several of them still hanging around at cash checks. There's probably 60 guys, 80 guys in the country that I would say that make a really good living bass fishing. So that's, that's a fair, that's a fair many people. So without, uh, again, there are certain names that I should not bring up in the, uh, archery community right now because it, you know, I don't want to get like rocks thrown out me, uh, thrown at me, but from the outside looking in, as far as like, uh, just reading about bass fishing, 
Mike Iconelli. Like, yeah. I'm not a bass fisherman. I don't know anything about it. So that <laughs> got brought up a lot. And when you read about that, and it's like a lot of people in the archery community that they have like this love hate thing. Was he a good fisherman? Was he just one of those yeah. guys that like to be like out, like like way outgoing or whatever? Hell no, dude. He figured it out early on, dude. He was flamboyant. He'd raise hell. He'd cuss. He'd do whatever there was, dude. But he was really passionate about wanting to win. And he'd rate, dude, he's good. Don't get me wrong. But he figured out that people, some loved it, some hated it. But it kept him up there in the limelight, dude. It kept a lot of eyes on him. And he's really done well and cashed in on that, too. But, yes, mm-hmm. he was and still is a damn good fisherman. He is yeah. solid, dude. He is really solid. And one of the nicest guys that I know on tour. Super nice. Yeah, yeah well, whether you hated him or loved him, you watched him. He had your attention. You know? That's yeah, right. That's right. He had, he had to talk to him about, like, bending the brim of his hat a little. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the first flat billers. Now, he was that, son. Now, he was an old flat biller. Still is. <laughs> Yeah, I got a little more bend in mind. Around here, you couldn't. Well, you know, around here where I live, you couldn't go to town with your hat bill flat. You get your ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is true, dude. That is. It true. is true. You know where I live. She hey, I remember the first time I went fishing with you, and Tip was there. Tip got on that boat. Tip's an old guy that, that fished with Andy. He's good at everything he does. But I got on the boat, and I, Tip goes, well, at least his flat bill ain't flat, Andy. <laughs> the first time I ever <laughs> met the guy. I was like, well, I'm sure glad I don't wear flat bills, or I'd have been tossed out of this boat. It's weird whether you're talking about bow hunting, photography, which is something else I'm into, bass fishing. Like you're going to have guys that have made it into an industry and kind of faked it or guys that, you know, or guys that made it that actually know what they're doing. And from the outside perspective, looking in as a kid, right, when he was running 22 inch rims on his bass boat, breakdancing and and I'm like, can this guy fish or is this like all just like, you know, like kind of you know faking the funk or whatever so i was always curious no he made it dude he made it he was he he was really good uh he's got a i mean he's quiet now he's got a he's got a killer radio show uh so he does real well with that he does a bunch of tv or has done a bunch of tv i don't know if he's doing anything right now and he's still i think levi did he go to bass he does now. He retired for what a couple years, and then went back and yeah. got back. He's back on tour now. He did a bunch of kayak fishing yeah. for a while. Um, yeah, oh, but he's he's just one of those crazy people that that. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's very entertaining, you know. But he is, he is. But yeah, Aaron, he's damn good. He can catch him. I can tell you, if I was break dancing on the front of a Ranger bass boat, I'd be entertaining because I cannot dance. So that <laughs> only thing carry me is people laughing at me dancing but i i i do uh without going too crazy but on a couple hours so with levi because i get this question a lot levi what are your plans for the future are you going to start focusing more on hunting and bass and less on tournaments or should i shut up and we're going to delete this part of my question on this podcast no it's fine I, i get this question a lot too actually Dan asked me this question yesterday as we were leaving the Triple Crown. He said, how many more years? It was just me and him in a parking lot. <laughs> and he wasn't happy yesterday the way this past tournament ended. It, it sucked for everybody. But 
I said, I don't know. What about you? He said, I might not come to the next. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. You know, I want to slow down for tournaments for sure. I, um, with kids and I just, it's not that I've lost my drive to win. I still hate losing as much as I ever did. I guess I have lost my drive to win. I, I, I still hate losing just as much as I did when I was 18, but the, the lure of winning is not like it used to be. Like, I feel like if I win, everybody's like, so what? And I'm kind of like, so what? You know, I'm like, oh, it's not, you know, I just want to get home to my kids. Can't wait till hunting season to get here, you know? And that's kind of the way I live. I, but I still love in the moment of the competition. I am like, everything in me is how do I win? I'm strategizing just like I've always been because it's in me. I can't help it. You know, I can say I don't care and I show up and I care, but I definitely want to focus more on being, being I'm, cause I'm gone right now all year because I compete from January to August. I hunt from September 1st till my first competition. And so we got three kids now and, I mean, it's been tough. It's tough on relationships, marriages. It's been tough, you know, but, you know, somehow we weathered the storm and I feel like I need to slow down at some point, you know, as far as one, one, I got to give up something and it's not going to be hunting. (laughs) (laughs) So at some point I got to slow down. So I have three more years left under my contract with Matthews and, I'm going to probably honor that. And, and then after that, I don't know what I'm going to do, to be honest. Um, I'm definitely, if I do keep competing, um, it's going to be restructured and I'm not going to have to shoot as many events, um, going forward. It'll be the ones I can make. And if Landon has a baseball game, I'm going to be at Landon's baseball game. And, um, you know, my boys are, Landon's getting, he'll be 10, 10, uh, in a month and a half. And he's in travel baseball. He loves to fish. He's um, stuck to my hip, and I love it. You know, he texted me right now. He's like, where are you? You know, he's just like, I love my kids, and I want to be there for them. And so, um, with the lifestyle I've lived for the last 20 years, I wouldn't have been able to be there for him a whole lot. And I just don't want to continue that forever. Um, and it's been, you know, the sport's been so good to me. I feel like I don't really have anything left to prove and I'll always be a part of it somehow, but I definitely have to slow down. Well, if there's one thing you can never get back. I know we've discussed this more than once and that's your time. Right. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, for sure. I don't know if I answered your question or maybe just went in depth too much, but there's not like a real answer. It's, it's, I'm just going to slow down. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I, no, no, I, I get it. Cause people ask me the same, but different type of question as far as like, people know I'm not a big fan of social media, but I'm on there. Um, you know, and, 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 and with you, obviously you've got a TV show, you've got tournament archery, you've got hunting, you know, whatever. Um, the cool thing about hunting is if I said, Hey, Andy, Matt, Levi, I got a, I got a badass mule deer sabat in South Dakota. You guys want to go? We can all go. Levi can't say, guys, I'm going to the ASA in Coleman, Alabama. You all want to shoot together? No, Levi, we're not you. We can't. Exactly. So it's a little bit different, you know. Yeah, Yeah, back to the South Dakota spot. 
<laughs> yeah, <I'll listen> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Hunting is something, you know, Lord willing, I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And honestly, the TV show is fun. I, Micah is an indispensable part of that. Um, but he makes my life so much easier because he does it all. You know, he films it, edits it, produces it pretty much tells me everything I got to do. I just got to go shoot stuff, you know, which is the only thing I'm good at. So, um, you know, that part is easy for me now, as far as content and creating the show, whether it goes digital one day or we, we're in a good position where we can pivot and go wherever we need to go with that, you know? And, um, I don't know what the future holds to be honest or how soon that's coming, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's coming. Yeah. Well, I I tell you on my end, you know, you know, just a uh, you know, whatever knuckle dragon door kicker. It's it's an honor to have um you guys invite me on this podcast because Andy, I've watched you for a long time. Um, it, it, it's funny, like uh, you know, obviously I've always been a big fan of Levi and and uh, you know what everything he's done, but. As a little fat kid, like in in literally like the the nineteen like early nineteen nineties nineteen eighties, watching BASS, I'm like, man, you can make a living fishing, and then later on, wow, you can make a living, uh, you know, shooting a bow, and then now I'm making a living in the outdoor industry. I'm talking to you know three guys that are all obviously very uh, good at what they do. It, it, it it's pretty. I've been blessed and I appreciate you guys having me on this podcast. It's pretty amazing where we all ended up and, and that yeah, we're doing a podcast right now, not to get around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, but it's pretty damn cool. <laughs> no, no doubt, dude. We all were, you know, whenever this was even an opportunity, we were all pumped because there's nobody, if you're in the hunting industry and don't know Aaron Snyder, then something's wrong with you. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to sit here and tell you how awesome you are. Everybody already knows that. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, your opinion carries so much weight in our industry, you know. And so, to, to have you say that about us and everybody knows you're not lying, so that's pretty awesome. And we're really, <laughs> you know, a lot of people here. could say that, nobody believe it. <laughs> well, I got I got to say, like, if you have any tuning questions about clocking arrows, call Levi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare say my number; I'll get mad to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll post your phone number on Instagram right now. Don't do it. <laughs> I just, I just changed mine. But you know what's 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 cool with this, as far as anybody listening in, uh, Levi, you started out pretty damn poor in life, haven't you? Yes. Andy, um, what about you? Are your parents millionaires? No, Lord, no. We're just middle class folks, man. We live out in the country and hunted and fished our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, I, I know a little bit of your background. Are, are your parents rolling in the dough? or No, no, I'm a preacher's kid, and I grew up in a cul-de-sac okay. in a suburban neighborhood eventually, but a town that started Wilsonville. You might know it being from Oregon, but, you know, a town I grew up in started with, I think, about 1,500 people, and it had one stop sign. So, yeah. It is pretty cool having you, you you guys invite me on this podcast. We all have the same background, and yeah, I can't I can't thank you guys enough. Um, it it, uh, it it is an honor. And Andy, I followed you forever, and I was just talking to my wife earlier about starting to fish more, and I'm like, well. I, I guess I can ask Andy a bunch of questions or call him because I'm about to be on a podcast with him. And she was like, 
the dude that fishes all the time? I'm like, yeah, that the dude that kicks everyone's ass. Oh, uh, yeah, that guy. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on here. It means a lot to us. And you've had me on your podcast several times. So it was cool to have you on this one. And, and uh, I'll see you next week, I guess, in Coleman. Yeah, maybe I can hold your umbrella with Justin. <laughs> 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 I'll tell Justin he got got kicked out of the umbrella holding spot. I, know, I mean, you know, I'm more of a combat sports guy, so maybe I can like run over, give Dan a couple shots in the kidney. Oh uh, yeah, we'll yeah, go right. straight Tanya Harding on Dan next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm your man. I don't know if I can shoot, but I can fight really well. Uh, <laughs> Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. Matt, I don't know. You want to do? You want to end this? I'd suck at telling everybody what our Instagram is. No, nah, we, we don't have to do that anymore, man. Because Mike oh, made that right. sweet closing ending, reel dude. for us. Yeah, we are big time now. We got Aaron Snyder on our podcast and an official ending. What is going on? <laughs> My gosh, <laughs> things are really looking <laughs> up these days. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to leave with a joke because I'm kind of a uh, as, as Levi can attest I'm kind of a prankster what did Mike Tyson say to Chris Hemsworth after a, like a really hard workout no idea. it had to have a list it has to have a list I bet you're going to be Thor tomorrow <laughs> oh, that's great. that was awesome that's yeah. a perfect way to end it <laughs> thanks a lot Aaron we sure appreciate you yeah. being on here tonight thank no, you guys no. thank all of you so much alright man see y'all thank you. bye that's it for this episode, guys. Please uh, remember to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. As Levi likes to say, if you don't want to leave us a five-star review, then just go ahead and don't leave one at all. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at online.podcast and leave us a comment. Send us your questions. We love hearing from you all. So thanks for listening. And until next time, see ya.